Hello, everyone. Welcome back once again to the TetraCast. If you haven't listened to this podcast before, this is where we get the staff and contributors of RPGSite.net to get together once a week and talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitale, and I've got a large crew here with me today. Joining me, I have George Foster. Hello, everyone. Joshua Torres. Uh, I'm a MOBA player once again, reborn. Adam Vitale. Hello. James Galizio. Hey. And Chow Min Wu. Hello, guys. So this is an interesting week uh, for the podcast because there is... This week didn't really have a big headliner in terms of what to talk about, but it did have a pretty major release for at least one of us, maybe two of us, uh, that we're going to want to dive into uh, right from the header. So not much in terms of announcements, in terms of big, new, exciting reveals or big new trailers or even release dates. But we did recently have the launch of Genshin Impact 2.0, which is Chow Min Wu's bread and butter and what I assume what he's been playing mostly all this week. That we, uh, we also had the New World beta and a couple other surprises that released this week. So in terms of games we've been playing, there's a lot of interesting things to dive into. Well, I, I think I'm stuck in gotcha hell again. You know, it's the mobile oh. game. But <laughs> you know what? The thing is, a lot of the gotcha games I play have like a huge drought going on right now. I know it's COVID and, and all, but like if I was playing Grand Blue, the game was having like one of the worst droughts I have ever experienced in a while. So they had the they had the Unite and Fight Clan War going on this week. Yeah, but right? Skill Wars is it's like the worst event in the game, but it keeps the game alive, you know? And, and the weird thing about that, because that has like a weird tangential connection with Genshin, where in the in Grand Blue's uh guild war, like it is competing uh, guilds with real players uh for points, and then there's like cutoff rankings for it, so like you to make eight thousand, the top eight thousand, you have to make this amount of points with your guild, and so they had to lower it, the threshold of, from what I heard from like you know friends who play it, they lowered that threshold from the previous one because Genshin Impact 2.0 came out, and they don't, they didn't want to like have people basically have to go super hard on it at the expense of cutting to their Genshin Impact time because of course, of course, all like big Japanese de- developers. Like are well aware of Genshin Impact's well impact, you know, and it having a big, big, big update now. They have to be all aware of like, okay, our players will probably want to play this, so we got to be sort of lenient about that, right? Yeah, but I don't know. I got a friend that's going to trying to get top two thousand, so he's like skipping Genshin content. He's like, oh, can you play my account? I gotta do this Guild War thing. So let's dive into it. What uh, what is what is Genshin Impact 2.0? Why is there a 2.0 at the end of this now? Is this a sequel or is it just a big update? 2.0 is, is a massive update. You basically get to explore uh, Inazuma now, so so it's like a whole new region to explore, right? I know you can't fully explore it yet, but as of the moment, there is free islands you can explore out of it, and that's that's a lot of content to begin with. Yeah, that's Narukami Island, Kanazuka, and Yashiori Island. Uh, but I, the interesting thing I heard about this is, even though we, well, I did, I, I kind of clowned on it for having only released three of the six promised islands coming in this new Inazuma. I think people are saying that this update is so big that it's basically equivalent to all the content that Genshin Impact launched with. So this is uh, this what you can do in these new regions. It's like there's so much to it that it feels like it's like a 
almost like a sequel to the game in terms of like the game launched with the Liyue and what was the other Mondstadt region and well, the content in here is equivalent to what you could do over there but at launch so there's just there's just a lot of new stuff to play around with yeah so um to someone who as someone who has not played Okay. Genshin, but I've seen the fan art. I've seen the tons of people sharing the new trailers for the new characters or whatever. When you say there's a new region, is it like a completely separate map that you have to travel to, like through uh, some sort of icon or some fast travel or whatever, or is it like an expansion of the current map where now you can travel further east or west or it's whatever? A, it's an expansion of the current map. I mean, technically, you could see where Inazuma is in the game, but you can't travel there before. Like back then, it's like. Well, you had to do a story to get there because, um, what is it? If if you try to travel there, a storm will take you away. So you have to do a storm, like the story to get there. Oh, I see. How, so how far away is it? Like, like super talking? far. But there's a like if you actually manage to get a Yaka now, right? Or using Kea, you could use like an ice bridge to travel across the sea. Okay, so it is actually so, like, is it south of? Southeast, southeast, southeast of, of of the where the current region is at was at launch. Those two regions, okay. Yeah, but you could like if you try to do the ice bridge thing, a storm would just prevent you from going there. So you have to take the boat from the story to get there. Um, I also feel like they got like new writers for this whole thing because when you get to Inazuma, there's like a lot of like trying to like world building like really too hastily. Like I feel like they're like trying to introduce you to like inazuma like right away like all their politics and all this stuff like when you get there you know it's not i don't feel it's like the same writers you know well what do you mean by that so i what i remember from the genshin impact story like i only played maybe a, a month and a half to two months after launch was it was it was very it was somewhat bare bones i mean there was still a link there that like there are cool story scenes funny stuff but it, it was very secular uh, very much about like the the world around you, and you're kind of visiting as like this traveler from another world. So you're kind of seeing it from an outsider perspective. But what do you mean that do you well, feel Inazuma like, has a? I just feel like what is it? There's a lot of ex ex precision when you get there. It's like okay. they try to explain a lot of things. Is the first thing when you get to Inazuma, they'll be like, oh, it's like you're gonna get conned by these people here so it's like what are you gonna do and they're like trying to introduce you all these like system and the politics and how you run and you can't even explore the island fully you try to explore people will say you don't have a passport i'm gonna take you away so like, there's a there's more intimate thing like your your player character uh, it's a silent protagonist but your player character feels more uh involved in the events going on now there there is there the protagonist is a lot more involved i think the protagonist is a lot more involved since like version 1.6 i think there was this massive update where you go and there's a massive spoiler i don't think i want to spoil it but in that okay. event it actually puts the character like in a lot bigger spot and there's a lot more highlights with the traveler so when you play the base version of the game is the tr like so you you pick i've seen people like sharing like funny dialogue options that you make as the character but they're just not voiced it's implied that you speak but it's it's you not voice. Unless you encounter the other traveler, let's say, because you get to either pick a, a male or a female traveler, the right. other traveler will be voiced, right? So so it's almost like a so Maybe basically persona? you pick one of the you pick one of the two and the other one becomes an NPC. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe antagonist, I guess. I don't know. Like I don't know where they're setting it up to be, right? But 
um, was it like in Persona Two, right? If you play as Internal Punishment and Innocent Sin, the other one gets to talk, but in their other game, they become silent protagonists and you're playing them, right? Um, but we talked about when we were introducing 2.0 when it was announced uh, last week or the week before how it had like three islands, but you could only visit a portion of them right away. Is that is that what the case is? Like right now, you can only go to the first of the three sections of Inazuma? Basically. Um, but it's still a lot of content. There's a lot of new puzzles. Um, what what you go there is like a lot of places filled with like electricity traps. Like the fields are like all covering electricity, right? Because because their archon is like, you know, it's uh, using electric power, right? What is okay. an archon? So- uh, archon's like the it's kind of like a god, like a reincarnation of like the seven gods that protect their region and yeah. i think it's like a, it's like it's an elemental god there there's like a fire god oh, is, a is, god. is each is each region like assigned one of these yeah the first region is monstat and that is uh, protected by the wind god which is venti oh, okay i get it um obviously that's that's venti's current form right now right like uh, he has a different form before then when you get to leiyue um the the archon there is uh song lee so now we get the new Archon is uh, Raiden Shogun, which is a Electro uh, Archon, right? So she's going to be like the big... I've seen her in trailers. She's not playable. She's just an important character. Is that how it is? Yeah, well, she's actually a boss, if I tell you. Oh, I see. Honest. But she's going to be playable. There's already like leaks that she's going to be like the next banner characters and, you know... Because uh, Venti's playable. I know he's like super popular, right? I think the biggest thing that people didn't expect her to be is she's actually a polearm user, not a sword user. Oh, that is weird. Like <laughs> I don't know anything. I don't know much about this game, but everything seems to suggest that she'd be a sword user because she pulls a. Well, you watch right. the trailer. She pulls a sword out of her chest. Have <laughs> you seen that oh. scene? Right. Well, okay. that, yeah, that's that's kind of very like archetypal. I feel like you could find that sort of imagery in a lot of places. But I mean, Tales of Arise uh, sort of does the same thing. But yeah, that, if you've seen that scene, is like she pulls the sword out of her chest, so you expect that to be, you know, she's a sword user. But how it works is she's sort of like child if you have child from Genshin, right? Genshin, I mean, a uh, child that uses two different type of weapons. He's a bow user, but if you activate his like special ability, it turns into two daggers, and nobody has two daggers in this game. Oh, oh I remember. Oh, yeah. uh, Talking about that, I forget if I forget if you were just streaming it or if it was some other context. But yeah, I remember you showing us uh, that weird, it's kind of the specific trait that that character had with the two daggers. Like uh, Shogun has the exact same kind of concept. Uh, if she uses her special ability, she gets to use a sword, right? Other than that, she's a polearm user. So one thing that I always see when uh, whenever there's a big new Genshin update is people obviously sharing on social media like their roles uh, about what you know whether how quickly they got the new character, how much, or if they get two in one or whatever. It seems like, based on my ignorant observation from afar, that most people were really going for that new cryo sword user with the light blue hair. Is that like the the one to get for this update? Or um, she's a bit weird. Uh, she has the um, Mona's kind of dash. Um, He's Ayaka, which, right? Yeah, this is Ayaka. She gets to she basically goes underwater kind of thing, then comes out like. Like as soon as you let go of your dash button, it's really hard to control. But if you can get used to this, it actually is really cool. It plays like a ninja sword. You know, with but is, she, is she the one to get? Is that like the, the um, best role you can get at the moment? Will, or it kind of depends. Well, she's the best character you can... Well, not like best character, but she's 
the character that people have been hyping up since the beginning. Of right. The game. That's, yeah. That's because yeah, that's what I've been noticing. Because she has like this uh, princess type background. She has uh, Sayori uh, Hayaman as voice. Uh, Hayaman. Still playing this game, I would be a hundred percent trying to get her. Yeah, it's like it has like a ton of hype going for it, and you actually did her story. Um, her story is actually massive hype too. Her story is one of the best story events in this game. So, uh, so give us a synopsis without spoiling. Like, uh, why? Why is why is it hype? Why, why uh, just search up pizza. That's all you gotta do. Oh. Huh? Wait, what? Okay. I feel like I, I feel like huh. I'm gonna like run into a bunch of unrelated pages. I, I I need I need a little bit more context of pizza. Wow. Or is it just Genshin Pizza will get me there? Uh, Genshin Pizza <laughs> will get you there. Traveler introduced pizza to something. Imagine I just searching for pizza completely. to like get food and then you just get spoiled just on this like, hype story. Pizza and you'll find all right, it. all right, okay. I just pizza. okay. So here here's my here's my first if I search Genshin Pizza, what I get is a food item called mushroom pizza. So apparently <laughs> okay. I need more context than that. You probably need a little bit more context with that one. <laughs> all right. Genshin Pizza Ayaka. Here's a YouTube video. I'm not going to watch it, but give give it to Kamisato Ayaka where to find the recipe. So there's a quest where you give this person mushroom pizza. Mm. Is oh, that man. it? I want to search it up now. I don't know. Is that, is that it, Chow? What he described? Somewhat, yeah. Okay. All but right. First line is actually good. Uh, I would recommend trying it. So, or just look at YouTube. Uh, the speedrunners are like rushing through these games. I mean, they already get to fight the boss, and I haven't even got that far yet. Yeah, it seems like so. You know, there will be, of course, your initial wave of people who rush the content and whatnot. But oh, is, actually, there, is there? Sorry, I'm still reading up on this pizza yeah. stuff. So the quest is to give her mushroom pizza. So that first hit that I got on Google about how to make the mushroom pizza on the Genshin Impact wiki was actually relevant. So there, oh, I, well. I have, I've learned more about Genshin today in the most odd roundabout manner than I expected. So, Are, are there any other like new gameplay features or systems that are wildly different than uh, what you know the initial content launch was? Like, I, I, and also, you know, they had the, the reputation system now that was added in a later patch. But was there was there anything as as big as that one uh, recent update where you had like you could sail a boat to like other islands? And, oh, like, you can, just... you can. You just in in was it in uh, in Uzama, like you get to use a waypoint finder to, to summon the boat. So they have all the mechanics from like the previous patch all thrown into this island. And you customize that boat? Not yet. Okay. Yet. Well, I can't maybe maybe, maybe, oh, uh, maybe. different patch maybe will add it to it, but you can't customize that boat yet. Yeah, but uh, uh, do you feel good about like the future of this game now after this patch? I I'm not quite sure. Like if they can release these updates a lot quicker, then yeah, the pop, the future will be bright. But if they can't, if they just took it like how they how long they did to release this patch, then I, I don't see I don't see it being that bright though. I remember when we were going through like 1.6, 1.7, uh, you talked about, you had a few opportunities on the podcast to talk about how it was just kind of like diversionary, where it's like, here's a summer event, or here's an event where they add a weird sort of like hide and seek mini game sort of thing. It just kind of felt like they were just treading water a bit. And th this sort of 2.0 impact is what people were really waiting for. And it sounds like if they've divided it the way that you described with like the three, the three parts of this region, they could just dole those out and 2.1, 2.2, or whatever, and hopefully kind of keep up the pace. At least, I suppose that would be the goal, or what people would like the most. Yeah, like, 
I would say it's like if they didn't take like eight months on filler content, I don't think any of the fan base would have been pissed and gone away. Because a lot of people I know that play Genshin kind of like all quit or they're like a casual on on and off phase. It's like if they were releasing content, maybe like in every four months, if there was like a new region. But if you can just explore some of it, it's like I, I think they would be a lot more positive. Yeah, do you, is there is it still like the same loop of gameplay like after you're sort of done with you know the, all the new content i mean obviously you're not done with all the new content but like we're when you're at the very end game now do you start to grind like the the weekly bosses and get the hopefully get a good drop and then well with They're another few there. days well, is there there. Any, did, did they add anything more like to vary it up day by day well they haven't they let you choose which one you want to fight, right? Because there's more boss now. You just need to kill free whatever bosses to complete the daily, right? But I think the biggest change is that you can convert the materials to other things if your drop wasn't good. So I guess that's a big, huge plus. It's like, oh, I always get this thing. Now I can use this other material to convert it into something else. Yeah, at least you're getting something back on like uh, the early days where it's just like, well, I got a shit drop. I can't really do anything with it. It's like just another week. Uh, just another wait, day. wait, right. Now you can convert it if you get the shit drop you didn't want, right? So, But uh, okay. is that like all the significant stuff right now for this new Genshin Impact update? I know a lot of people have been going in on it. Yeah, there's lots kind of... of things to cover. I mean, there's like the electro gun or whatever you like to call it this is like the main mechanic in this new island you had to like activate this electric flower to travel to like this electric barriers it's kind of like a really weird thing and it also lets you like magnetically pull like certain flowers in midair like a hook shot sort of thing right it's pretty cool is it one of those is it like kind of like a breath of the wild you're using like the that device to kind of levitate stuff and like kind of move stuff around or is sort it of there? sort of similar but okay. it's all placed in there. You can't really fix the location, right? Okay, so it's all it's, it's is it on for just fixed places? It's not like freeform like Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Okay. The, just on paper, that just seems like it's an interesting idea to give the unique sort of traversal puzzle nature to this region rather than just giving it like a general theme or overview, but it ends up just being decoration. Like it actually changes how you navigate in this area. And I know when they added that small, I, I don't know the name of this, but on the, on the original map, they added that small area that had the ice mountain shortly after release. And you had you had brought up that in that region, you have to actually manage like your body temperature. You have to have a right consumable before going there. So I, at least that seems like it changes up a little bit of like the resource management or what you actually have to be cognizant of as you play in this new region. It's not just go there to see what the story of the characters are. It's actually like you got to. Yeah, there's a visual a identity that's, that's yeah. that spurs on into that translates into gameplay as well, and and that's really cool because all the screenshots I'd seen of the environment uh, of this region is like is gorgeous. Like the Genshin has already had like has like amazing, beautiful environments, especially in, in Liyue, but the, this one is they, they've really amped it up once again, especially during nighttime. You see the Sakura bloom and it says oh, that, that that dark blue and pink contrast. It looks really good, really nice. I'm I'm very impressed. So do you have all the new characters yet, or have you? Uh, no. oh, I'm your old character. I'm missing old characters. I'm missing Albedo and who else? I think I'm just missing Albedo. Wait, so you're only, you're only missing yeah. one character out of all the characters in the game right now? <laughs> wait, wait. I'm missing Albedo and the last guy that recently released, uh, Kaede, uh, Kiyu. Wait, not, uh, Kaede. What's his last name again? I forgot. 
hear you cut yeah you would have the best you would have the something. best he yeah, I, I just keep thinking of the guy from from yakuza because that's what his name was before the, yeah like in the, in the beta and the prototype like his name was like very close to Kiryu Kazuma or something so i forgot what they changed it to because it's like man I don't it, know. it's kaede now so okay but yeah I, I don't i don't have him because i skipped them for Yaka, so I had everything, and they changed so how had... the weapon banner works. Right, the weapon banner has a pity system for whales, and I, well, back then it's like uh-huh. you don't you get shit out of luck if you just keep rolling weapons banner. Now there is one fail save if you roll two weapons that you don't want. The next weapon will be the one that you selected as your for your pity. And uh, did you hit that pity? I did, and it doesn't feel good. Um... So, so you so you have both Ayaka and like her weapon that from that weapon banner. Yeah, but the weapon's a elect- looks like an electric weapon. It looks like a Kaching weapon, or everyone thought that weapon's for Bale, so everyone's like wailing for this weapon. Uh, uh, Bale is a shogun character, right? Bale's another name for shogun. So, uh, speaking of Ayaka, I remember very very early on, very early like leaks of her. Does she still play like Virgil? Her move set, her, her yeah, abilities? she still does. Her dash so she's not that Virgil like. Slash, or whatever you like, call it, where she's like oh, pull, pulling her katana out of her sheath, or whatever you like to call All it. All right, and well, let me know when your account's ready to borrow. Uh, I, I can let you use my account anytime, bro. <laughs> I don't want to get sucked back in. I'm scared. <laughs> Do you have the other two uh, new characters yet? Or I think there's two. Uh, they're not out yet. Oh, I see. Are they coming in with the, the other parts of the, uh, of the set of I'm islands? Skipping uh, Yomiya, she's uh, voiced by Kana Ueda. That's known for Rin in the Fate series. So maybe Josh will go back for that. And it's not fair. They have Hayami and Ueda back to back. That's unfair, bro. That's unfair. Right, I, I, I need to back up a bit for uh, for someone who's ignorant like me. When when there is a new character introduced in Engine Impact, that you can have the chance. To to get and try to try to roll for are they introduced as part of the story and then you have the chance to get them or is it the other oh, way around where once there's you both. get them they're, like, in, they're okay. introduced into the story like if there's a new character they'll have a little thing on the top that lets you try the character and there are also story events to introduce the character so there's two ways to, uh, okay. to do it uh, sometimes the story doesn't come in immediately so they only let you try the character first before you know the character but this time we get the luxury of both but ayaka it seems like you were suggesting that people knew about her beforehand like she had been involved in the story leading up to this no nobody knows it's oh more okay like she, she just she was just a flash in the pan and everyone was hyped about her it was leaks really like people kept oh, I leaking see. all the stuff before it came so that's out. so that's what it was I, when you when you people were like really excited going into it i thought it was like because she had like a big part in the previous story but no it was it was leaks. All right. There, there, there's, all, there's also a trailer that released like by the launch of the game that teased like upcoming story arcs way down the road. So like the, this is one of the earliest looks at Ayaka too was in that trailer of like, oh, they're teasing that this new region is coming. And then after that, the, they we, we have a very, very small glimpse of like other characters that are coming way down the road in other new story arcs. So it's kind of like kind of that carrot uh, at the end of the hook. Like, you know, keep on going. You want to see this character? Keep on going. For people who want to revisit Liyue and Mondstadt uh, after they visit Inazuma, how would they get back? Do they have to go on like on a boat or something, and it'll bring it back to the previous um, region? Instant teleport, man. This game has. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot to fast travel. That. Yeah, but that's the only way back. I'll just yeah, fast travel. That's it. That's what I do. I'm not sure if there's a boat to take me back, but I just fast travel. Okay. But I think right. if you, you, I think you, you, you missed the ice platform. 
But I think if you miss the chance, I think you just talk to the port guy and uh, lay away to just get back. All right. Do we have any sort of like timetable when you know they're going to expand on where you can access in Inazuma? I think 2.1. And in 2.1, there's also the crossover with uh, PlayStation. We get uh, right, yeah. from, that was awesome. uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. And it's yeah, interesting they've... because, uh, so yes, yeah, so this was also a new story that came out later uh, in the week where, yeah, there's a crossover event where Alloy from the Horizon series is now going to be a character in Genshin where you can exclusively obtain her on either PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5. But due to the cross-play, cross-save functionality, you can use her on any system once you have her. And then she comes with a four-star bow. I think it's four-star as yeah. well. It, so, yeah, I think um, this is a time exclusivity for the PlayStation platforms. I think so, like a, a month later, she can be ob- obtained on any platform, just not on. Oh, PlayStation. I see. Yeah. So, so that's uh, that's well, pretty. She, fair. Well, she is on PC now, so like, yeah. there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's a is it is is this the it. first like crossover of its kind for this game? Like, are there any other characters in this game that aren't from either Genshin or Honkai Impact? Uh, no, this is the first one. This is the first one. Interesting. It kind of opens the door though. Like, who? Yeah, first right. of all, like, <laughs> um, that's a... I don't mind they added the uh, was it the near uh two B and uh, A two. I mean, in every in every uh gotcha game, they always got to be in every single um. Yeah, it feels oh, like that's know. kind of a safe pick where Aloy seems a little bit in some ways kind of like a out of left field pick. It, it is for sure. I think it's a very interesting first collab character, like outside of like the Mihoyo verse on the discounting Honkai. Like this is, you know, uh, for the target audience of Genshin, you know, they're very, they're really targeting like the JRPG audience. Uh, targeting you know the people who really like the anime aesthetic and then aloy comes from that other side of like you know she comes from a western game that's you know the horizon the horizon series is obviously not an anime game so try to like you know try to entice those players who are interested in those games like hey you can go play your favorite character like you know sony character in this game now like that's it's a really really interesting um collab collab decision not not only that but the fact that going the other direction it's not like aloy has been jumping into a bunch of other collabs like this is right. the, as far as i remember it's the first one she's really been uh, in too. Yeah, so she's, right. in, she's been in hey, fortnite as well hey, like for fortnite dude yeah well, fortnite <laughs> has everything though like like yeah. what does fortnite not have uh again yeah anime characters actually. <laughs> yeah yeah when is uh when is ayaka going to fortnite Naruto. all right I'll, 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 i'm playing fortnite then if ayaka's coming in there don't hold me to that though i didn't say that was, wasn't there happen. an Aloy? Wasn't I don't I don't think it was the character, but couldn't you get her like armor and stuff in Monster Hunter World? Yeah, yeah. that's oh, right. Wow. I, 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 yeah. Or could you actually I, play as Aloy? Oh, I don't okay. remember. I didn't, I didn't play could. the PS. Oh, okay, never mind. So I played the PC version, where I guess technically, like I said earlier, she's on PC now, so they should put that on there. But whatever. What happens when when um, Genshin comes to Switch, man? What uh, what happens to Aloy? They get Link, I guess, or Zelda. I have no clue. Um, I think I think um, they only mentioned the Switch version officially once on the Genshin Impact Twitter, and like that was in early 2020, so before the game released, and never again. I, Let me just double check that. Like, have I remember, I, I remember the last time they they talked about it. I I don't know if. Uh, 
how many months ago it was, but they said they're still working, but they're just having difficulty like having oh, it run on yeah. hardware. Yeah, that's because... what I heard from the day. Okay, too. so I I I just I did a search on the Genshin Impact Twitter for Switch. Mm-hmm. And and all time there's only one tweet that mentions Switch on the Twitter. <laughs> and it's from January 14, 2020, it's just saying it's coming to Nintendo Twi- Nintendo Switch in the future, and that's it. We're still so... in the future. Uh, uh, anytime between now and the uh, the, uh, the further future, it could, it could <laughs> come there. They're waiting for that Switch <laughs> Pro whenever that's coming. And I, sh- I guess I should also mention just maybe it's interesting, but like we get the press releases from Mihoyo on Genshin Impact, right? Like here's everything, like all the updates, what the game is, right, all right. the media, whatnot, and they never mention Switch. Like they always say like it's available on PlayStation, it's or whatever, and mobile phones and like no mention of switch ever. i do wonder if mihoyo if somewhere the, internally mihoyo now with the with the steam deck announced i wonder if there's uh, any sort of consideration of bringing gadget impact like the client to to steam it's like okay well if the steam deck uh takes off um i wonder if they'll consider just putting gadget impact on steam so, yeah it's stuff like that where you think where well it would make it because con- you can obviously on the steam deck it's at least ostensibly we don't have our hands on it it's pc you should be able to play just the the native client but if it was integrated with the steam ui and launcher it might just be a little bit more convenient does the game launch from a like i don't know i don't i don't know much about linux and proton but i i wonder can you just like launch genshin from uh, under the proton client i don't know we're giving james some homework (laughs) (laughs) i was just thinking james James lanson (laughs) I don't think James is interested in our Genshin conversation about it. So, so here, so, so let's kind of let's kind of close out with just this general idea. Let's say you're someone that's in maybe Josh's type of position where you played Genshin when it came out for a month, two months, three months. And you've put it down for a while, but now with 2.0, you're excited to come back. Like, is it pretty easy to jump back in and be like where you were and able to jump right into this, or do you gotta do you have a bunch of things you have to kind of knock off a list before you ramp up into it? I think that's the one of the things with Genshin that's easy to do. It's like if you haven't played it for like a few months, you jump back to it, you know, it's really easy to get back into it. It's just like, oh yeah, now I got more stuff to explore. Now I got more of a game than before, you know? So let's say let's say Josh logs in tomorrow and what does the game show him that says like you should talk to this person here to to reach Inazuma or now you have a new quest or how like how how does the game direct him to this? Yeah, will... so right, right, right now, like my current progress, if I were to go back, is I, I did pretty much everything in the base like patches. I didn't, I didn't ever log back on. Like I did the first, the very first event, that weird co-op event in that dome area, uh, and that was like the last piece of content I did. I finished off the Liyue like base story. It should be fine if he comes back. It'll be like the first thing will be in your game. It'll be like the quest. It's like you already pick up the quest. That will tell you to do this to go to uh, Inazuma, okay, so, right? so it's yeah, so it'll just tell me right away, hey, hey, go here, yeah, basically. Okay, what if someone downloads Genshin for the first time? <laughs> then they don't get it because you, you're also locked to uh, a certain adventure rank, right? So it's like you have to be at least, I think it's like 20 or 30 to get there. Or as a well, that seems smart, so it's not just like overloaded. Like, yeah, because the content over there kind of is also a clear progression too. of you do this area first, or at least you're introduced to this region first, and then you move on rather than just having like overwhelmed. Where do I go? Well, I guess it's like playing end. like 
a Final Fantasy expansion. I mean, it's like you just can't really jump to Heaven's Ward, you know, even though you've played all this stuff, right? Just have to do Is these this things. taboo? We have, you you have drawn a line between Genshin Impact and Final Fantasy Four. No, but I'm just saying, like in general, and like all expansions, like yeah, it's the zone is there, but it won't let you access it immediately until you do certain story prerequisites or reaching certain level first, right? Speaking very generically, that is something that I wonder, like, to what degree that has to be considered when designing a platform game like this, whether it's an MMO or a or a MOBA or a hero shooter, where they have to know how to direct veteran players that log in you know consistently lapsed players who haven't logged in for a few months and then new players how do they make sure that they get the kind of the desired experience so that they don't get like swamped with system what you should be doing because it just has like over the course of time it's kind of lost a lot of focus obviously genshin's been a year old but makes me just think about how how you have to consider that for the long run for these games that have such long lifespans any other final concluding thoughts on 2.0? Are you done with it yet, or do you have a bunch more? To no, do? I, I got tons and tons to go. <laughs> well, you were the one that said that you didn't have enough to do, so uh, you well, got your they wish. finally uh, they finally threw at me, but uh, yeah, I guess. It's... So yeah, at the start of this, you kind of mentioned that you were jumping between a bunch of different gotcha games. So you're currently doing Genshin. Uh, I play Grand Blue, Grand Blue and I play and Epic, Epic 7. Seven, right? Yeah, Epic Seven has a only? collab coming too. They have a ReZero collab coming. Everyone has a ReZero collab, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess a ReZero collab is easy to get. I guess it's one of those things like the creators like, I don't care what they do with my property. Just pay me, I'll take it, right? Like Aloy and yeah. everything. Then <laughs> it's gonna happen. Apparently, another release that came out this week, or maybe maybe last week. I don't remember exactly when it times out. Uh, a bit of a different tact for this one is Chris Tales. This is a game that first was revealed at E3 2019. And I actually remember this because I got an email from the publisher, uh, Modus Games, during when we were going to visit that E3. Adam, James, and I went to that one uh, the last year before it, it kind of really, truly collapsed for good, thanks to 2020 and other issues. Um, and they were really, this is two years ago in 2019, they were really kind of coy about exactly what it was and you know who it was for. And it ended up being kind of like this surprising thing that for the last two years, they've really tried to like tie how it's similar to Chrono Trigger, how it has an anime sort of aesthetic, but in, also inspired by Western animation and had a bunch of the Steam Festival demos and it had a few iterations on that demo. And it finally did launch uh, just last week and Adam had a chance to play it. So. What is Chris Tales and how are you feeling about it so far? Yep. So you weren't sure when it released. It did release last week on July 20th. Chris the Tales. reason why I wasn't sure is because you obviously got an access for review, but it was really late and like coincided with the launch. Yeah. So, it, it, so review code came out the day before. So, so yeah, actually not that many. Really There's actually it. like not that many reviews up online. And I think Switch version was like a few days before, so most reviews were Switch. But so Chris Tales, uh, if you're not familiar, it's an it's an indie game from a studio in Colombia. It's actually like a pair of studios. It's one of them is Sick, it's S Y C K, and one of them is Dreams Uncorporated. And it is a classically styled like Japanese RPG uh, inspired game. So turn based. Uh, sort of system. It had clear inspiration from Chrono Trigger, um, Paper Mario, those types of games. And it's just, it released on basically everything. It's like PC, Switch, 
uh, current and next-gen PlayStation, Xbox consoles, and even Stadia. So, I was actually going to say, like, Stadia, Stadia. I was going to be, like, yeah, it's on, Stadia. It's on Game Pass uh, as well. So Chris Tales, uh, I played it. I finished it. I have not had a time to, re- to actually write my review yet. So this is sort of a precursor to a written formal review for it. So the game itself, you... It, it stars the main character is named Chris Bell, and she at the onset of the game learns that she is a time mage, and she has the ability to see the past and the present at any given time, and she gains other time bending powers as she goes through the game. You cannot actually travel to other time periods, so it's not like Chrono Trigger in that regard, but it does come into play in terms of the story, in terms of some of the mechanics in battle, and things like that. And early on in the game, her village, Nareem, is attacked by a, an antagonist known as the Time Empress, who is a, basically a much more uh, experienced time mage, only this person has nefarious purposes that you don't know what they are yet. And she basically sets out on an adventure to save these cities that are being affected by either the Time Empress or other problems, and basically, ultimately, of course, ends up needing to save the world, right? And joining with different characters along the way. Uh, it's a relatively uh, shorter game. So I know I've seen people sort of uh, lament that, like, why can't people make a 20-hour JRPG anymore, right? Well, Chris Tales has actually took me about 20 hours to beat. So it's, it's kind of a, a brisk, uh, brief, cozy sort of game. You mentioned that it had, like, an anime aesthetic. I actually got a chance to speak with the uh, some of the developers on the game, and the the the, the aesthetic that they actually mo- the, the comparison they made in terms of the art style, the the most direct comparison they made is actually a Western cartoon. It's it's called Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. I actually, oh, remember I know this? That one. Yeah, yeah. It and if you look at the art, you can sort of see it. You know, it's in that that show kind of you know has like the big eyes, maybe the stylized body proportions and things like that. Um, and you, so you can see it. It was on like Cartoon Network like a decade ago or whatever. Um, so that was actually like their main George was a wee lass. I was just going to say. <laughs> but uh, he actually, so like I said, the development team is uh, Colombian. And they said that, so in Colombia, they get like bits and when they're, if you're growing up as, you know, a young person in Colombia, they get bits and pieces of media from the U.S. from Japan, so they they do see like some. They get some anime, they get some cartoons, and they're like from other countries that inspire them. And so they the the creative team there wanted to sort of like make a game kind of with those inspirations and basically say like here's something from Colombia. Um, and so Colombia is a South American country, and a lot of the cities and architecture in Chris Tales is based on real Colombian places and the some of the storylines and some of the conflicts that appear in the game are also based on Colombian history or Colombian, you know, just the history of, of this, the city and of real world events. It's like, for example, I know the town of St. Clarity is the first town you go to when you set off on your adventure. And it is a town that is split very very rigidly between like the walled city area which is the upper class 
area where all the the richer people live and then the lower city area is is called the is called floodside and it's it's called floodside because literally the the area is flooded not just by natural water but by sewage and the city of saint clarity in the game is actually inspired by the real world city of of i might mispronounce this cartagena and all and there, this appears all throughout the game where there's various architectures like a clock tower or a wall or a canal or whatever that's all actually based off a real world place so in terms of the game itself you it's a turn-based rpg and early on, you do meet a few characters that basically form your initial party. You have Chris Bell, who is a time mage. Then you meet Christopher, who is actually not related to Chris Bell in any way, just a, uh, kind of a coincidental similar name, is a elemental mage. And he attacks with sort of like this shield sword thing. And then you meet Wilhelm, who is also a time mage in a way, but his, his magic is more like nature-based, so he can like plant magic seeds and then time can be manipulated where they grow into various effects like a poison effect or an explosive explosive effect and things like that so in battle you not so have you ever played a classic style jrpg where you kind of get like a pincer attack where you have enemies on both sides of you right yes yeah um every battle in chris tales actually looks like that but it's not really a pincer attack that's just the standard battle formation where your party's in the center, and there's enemies on both sides of you. And how the game works is that Chris Bell, for enemies on the left-hand side of the screen, she can send them back into the past. And oh, enemies sure. on the right-hand side of the screen, she can send them into the future. And that can have various effects in terms of what it does to the enemies. Like, for example, wolves are a type of enemy in the game. If you send a wolf into a future, they become like a like a alpha wolf or whatever, and they become oh. stronger. Uh, they become more more higher attack power, higher defense power, more HP, things like that. So you, you get don't more really want out of them. I don't think so. I think experience actually doesn't matter what state they're in when you beat them. But like for example, goblins. If you send goblins into the future, they become more squishy, like weaker, less HP, but they have like magic now. Mm. So. So there are some cases where if you meet a certain enemy, you want to send them either into the past or into the future, and they're easier to deal with. And you kind of have to know just by experience what the best way to approach a certain enemy is. So and since, since you can only send enemies on the left to the past and enemies on the right to the future, there, there's, there's kind of both a positioning element like spatially and a positioning element temporarily, right? So both time and space here, because, for example, Christopher, the elemental mage, actually does get abilities where he can kind of fling enemies from one side of the screen to the other. So you kind of have to consider might, both. So you might want to, you might want to like fling. I'm just, this is, ba I'm going on a conjecture based on how you've described it. Like you might want to use Christopher to fling a wolf from the right side of the screen to the left so that they can't become an alpha wolf. And then can you turn them into like a cub? Can you turn them yeah, to the past? Right, exactly. And then they become I, I like, like that in principle. Oh. Yeah. And then... So yeah, that's how the, basically the battle systems in the game work. It's pure turn-based, so no ATB or anything like that. You know, it's, if it's Chris Bell's turn, she gets to act. There's a timeline on the top. There are also Paper Mario-type elements in terms of button pressing at, at times, where when you do an attack, if you press you know, the A button or the, you know, the appropriate action button during the attack, you can do a critical hit. And when you are attacked, if you defend at the right time, you can parry. If you defend it, 
properly. So it's got that sort of system as well. The time, these time mechanics also come into play with boss fights and certain boss fights kind of play around with the mechanic in different ways. For example, early on in the game, you go through the, the St. Clarity sewers and in the sewers, you fight like a sewer monster, right? And so when you're fighting the sewer monster, he starts on the right-hand side of the screen and then will kind of randomly move from the left to the right at, at different points in, during the battle. So there's at certain points in the battle, you'll, you can be sent him into the future, and at certain points, you can send him in the past. So like just one kind of obvious strategy that pops up here is you can, if he's on the left-hand side of the screen, you can poison him, right? And then he moves to the right-hand side of the screen. He's moving in time, in, in, in addition to space. And because a bunch of time has passed from moving from the left to the right, all that poison damage accumulates, and he takes a big hit of damage. That's so that's nice. Less. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, so that's basically the gimmick in this game in terms of how is it different from a classic RPG, and that's how it's different, is this time mechanic in battle. There's no, as far as I know, there's no other game that does anything really like that. Um, so does so, the game make good use of it? Does like does it stay interesting mm -hmm. throughout? Uh, that's actually... It, it does wane a bit. Later on in the game... I feel like that time mechanic becomes less useful because my 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 characters become strong enough where I don't really need to worry about it so much. Like, oh, here's an enemy. I don't really need to worry about what time they're in. Just use your strong magic or your strong physical attack and beat them like a normal game, right? So mm. it does wane a bit where it's like the interest gets... Um, it, it's, it's almost not worth worrying about where just just do just do your high attack skills or high damage skills and you'll be fine but it's it's still a, it's still a pretty cool concept and i think it's interesting enough it just i wish it kind of stayed more interesting and stayed more relevant and useful further into the game than it does so it's a little bit disappointing in that regard uh any questions about anything i've said so far well, not a question, but one, one, one thing that you said early on that this actually reminded me of, and this might not be totally related, but it's still what popped in my head. But another game that came out that was a studio also South American or maybe Central American that was them trying to deliver something from their country based on the inspiration that they had played was Bug Fables. That was a yep. studio from Panama who basically said, like, we had played Paper Mario uh, and we want to create something in the same space and here it is and this is from this is based on you know what it's not obviously that's a game where it's a little bit more fictionalized but it's still the same idea where it's like they get to experience american or european games cartoons and they just kind of take what they've experienced growing up and they want to deliver onto the um onto the world stage themselves and that's also a game on game pass and mm -hmm. you also see like this isn't quite as much an rpg but i do know a game that recently came on game pass was raji and ancient epic Yep. which is an like an Indian game based on, I think, inspired by like Prince of Persia. So it's just, I've mentioned this on a few past podcasts, but it's just really cool. Like, I don't know if I've played another, I can't name another Colombian video game off the top of my head, but I can name uh, Chris Tales. And, I, you know, it's, it's kind of, it seems like it's, I've seen enough, not hype, that's maybe wording it too vaguely, but I've seen enough like interest in it because it's doing something different. It's got that unique art style where it's not clearly aping one specific thing where it's like, oh, they're just emulating Persona or something. But no, it's like they're they're incorporating Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends of all things. Like that mm -hmm. is inspired, I think, in some ways. So 
that was just my comment. Just it's really cool just to see something like it's got some real originality to it. That's my that's my off the cuff take. Okay, so I've described the 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 premise and the battle system. As for some like actual opinions on the game, it is you it is a bit rough around the edges. You kind of have to going into it uh, be cognizant of the fact that it is from a small indie team in Colombia. It is a little bit um, like uneven in places, unbalanced in places, and there's a couple of things you sort of take for granted in an RPG that this game doesn't really do either well or at all. Just as one small example that it kind of stuck out to me, even though it might sound petty, there it has random battles, like a classic turn-based RPG, right? Now, there is no transition to random into the random battle. So you're literally walking across a field area, right? And then just suddenly a load screen appears, and then you're in battle. Mm. And it's just, it's just like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, not even... Like normally, there's you know glass, some sort of no, shattering like, of the screen light. or like a yeah. swirl or Girl something. Vortex, my favorite. Yeah, it, it, it's <laughs> like it's 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 nitpicky, right? But it, it's just kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. Uh, it's just, just loading. You're wandering, and then just like it is sudden loading screen. Also, I should mention. I should also mention. Would it just like immediately pop in the battle? So I'm playing it on PC. I should also mention. This is getting off topic a bit, ruining my flow. But the PC version, again, indie team, it has pretty much no configuration options whatsoever. You just load it and it plays. Um, I'm playing on a 4K monitor and it, it is in 4K, like rendering and whatnot. I mean, it's 2D, so it's not like 3D renders or whatever. It's mostly 2D. But um, the um, PC version for me runs pretty well, but I have seen other people have some issues with it. And there's just like no configuration options. It's just sound. Like you can affect like voice language or voice options, uh, sound effects, music, whatever. So, and there's also no keyboard mouse control. So it has to be. Uh, I know you. I know you misspoke, but like when you say voice language, is English? Uh, sorry, it, it's in it's in English. Uh, I meant voice volume. But yeah, no, it's, I know it's, you it's, mentioned it's, that just accidentally. But I was just curious. Like, yeah. is it is it just English? Just English. Be cool if it was like so, like I don't know what language. I'll, I'll be honest. They, I'm they, here. It's Spanish. Spanish. It's Spanish, Spanish but yeah. not an option here. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have seen and heard that the console versions of this game are also kind of rough in terms of loading times, stutter, you know, stuttering. Load times especially seem to be a big problem, and especially like going into and out of battle, how frequent that might be. We have to wait 10 seconds or whatever. I heard it's especially bad on Switch, so it's one of those things where it's like maybe wait for a patch. Um, I was lucky with the PC version, but since there is no configuration, you kind of just have to, is it, does it work or not? I suppose you can try out the demo and see how it works. So that's probably representative. But in terms of other like indie performance, rough around the edges things, there are times where the presentation's a little bit weird, where there are a handful of sort of like uh, 2D animated scenes. They're not like, they're not like, you know, anime studio type, you know, cutscenes or whatever, but stylized to like animations because this is an animation studio also in Colombia that's helped out on this that are those are pretty nice but there are some scenes that are through just the dialogue boxes in the game and let me see if I can explain this to in a way that makes sense so you're you're running in a city area and you got like the city music playing in the background it's usually like a light-hearted fun little city theme it's nothing you know it's it's cool enough and then a dramatic event starts happening where a villain shows up or whatever, and there's a serious conversation going on. 
but it's it's th it's through like the normal dialogue boxes and the city music is still just playing in the background it's still like lighthearted happy jolly city music but there's this big dramatic event happening and normally I would expect it to be, you know, maybe the music mutes it a bit or there's like a different music track that pops in. It's like sort of indicates like this is important. This is a series event. This is dramatic, but it doesn't. And it, it kind of threw me off in a way like when you when you normally have like a conversation in a game and it's just like the traditional music in the background. It's just like a casual NPC conversation or, or whatever. But it's, it's just like a little bit weird in terms of well, I guess this is an indie game. You know, it, is, it doesn't have all the budget and time to be able to incorporate these things, but you kind of have to keep those in mind. But also, some of the dialogue is a little bit terse, and I don't know if I can explain this very well, but characters will be talking about one topic, and then because they have to, and for the suit the, to suit the narrative, they like shift gears really readily to like a more important topic, like in the middle of a sentence, like on a dime. So it flows a little bit weirdly at times. So there are things like that that just kind of pop up here and there. You give like an example um, where it's like, I'm sorry you feel that way, Chris Bell, but we have to do this or something. Yeah, it's I don't have an example off the top of my head. Maybe I should look up one for the for the review that I'll write. But yeah, they'll just be talking with an NPC about, you know, what they're doing. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, by the way, this is like the home of the, the villain or something. And <laughs> we have to, you know, <laughs> make sure they can't do this thing or whatever. And it's just like, well, oh, that's kind of weird. It, it just flows weirdly at times. I remember also, when, uh, the, sorry to cut you off. But I, rem I remember when people were talking about this game, it was first unveiled, like they, the, their UI for battle was very evocative of Persona 5, which, you know, like they had that whole uh, slanted letters uh, so, uh, forming up against the circular center and whatnot. Has that changed or has that been tweaked to like move away from that? Because I remember when I saw it, like it, it was like, of course, it, it it evoked that, but at the same time, it, it there, like the read, readability of it was kind of very stiff, they, and I was like, I don't know. They changed the font. It was this weird, like stylized, it was like a graffiti-ish yeah. font, but they changed it. It's it's you know, it's more basic perhaps, but it's more, more legible. Okay, uh, yeah, that's but a, that's it still cool. has it's so in battle. Like I said, pincer attack enemies left and right. You, you either press left or right to let it know which direction you're attacking in. And uh, from there, you can pick like skills or healing or whatever. Then you can also press up or down. Up gives you your options to pass your turn or to defend or to use an item or down is flee. So there's a little bit of that, you know, cardinal direction, pressing a button thing in the battle. But otherwise, they did change the font from its original like graffiti style or whatever you want to yeah, call it. Yeah, it looks like the, the original font almost looks like one of those like ransom letters where you cut out the letters from like a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and then the new yeah. one's just like some therapy. I like it. The old one, I mean, sorry. <laughs> uh, also in terms of unevenness, some of the balance in the game is a little bit weird. Like in terms of mechanical polishing. Early on, for instance, and Brian was actually watching me stream this part, in the first dungeon in the game, for example, you don't have any healing options yet, and the game gives you two potions, and that's it. You can't have botan anymore at this point in the game. And I was actually like, okay, I've used my two potions, but now my guys are getting kind of weak, and I literally cannot heal. Um, like this is kind of weird. Why don't why don't I have like any option to heal? I can't even buy items, and people don't even use items in RPGs, right? They score them all. Um, and eventually, like once you reach level five, you get a healing spell, and it's like, oh, okay, that's finally. So it was a little bit 
rough going for a bit at the beginning there um, until you get a healing spell. And then in other parts of the game, like in terms of how much money you get from battles, it doesn't seem like it's enough. And then in the next zone, you get a ton. And then in the next zone, you don't get as much in terms of like the economy of the game. So it, it seems a little bit weird in terms of how things progress in terms of you know, RPG increasing numbers, increasing Yeah, prices. like, that might just be, you know, experience with right. resource management of developing this sort of game, so. And just kind of broadly speaking, that's one of those things that I don't know exactly how developers, like, test that in terms of how much experience should enemies give at this point? How much money should they give? They have to, I guess, estimate how many battles is somebody going to get into on average in this zone and how much money are they roughly going to have and how much experience are they going to gain? How many levels should they have? And how, what should the well, stats of enemies also, be? Also, also so, like, um, should we expect the player to be able to buy out all the new equipment at the shops or whatever the equivalent is? Or right. are we gonna are we gonna specifically try to limit so that they have to pick and choose? Is this, there's a philosophy, and, and, and then you can go bypass everything. <laughs> there's just a philosophy idea there too, where it's like, do we want do we want to make it so that they can earn enough money to buy everything, or are we gonna deliberately price things where? There's more decision making involved. I'm speaking general generally, I mean. All right. So there's one more major element of the game I haven't talked on yet. Uh, and that is the overall like flow and structure of progressing through the game. So the game is basically separated into cities. You start out in a uh, starter city called Nareem, and that's your prologue. And then you move in sequence to the city of St. Clarity, then the city of Neva Tulira, then the city of Cinder. And each of these cities is basically a compartmentalized, isolated story, events, and you kind of move it to move it them in sequence. And it's effectively like your chapters in the game. And in each city, you go, you get a series of uh, of sub of side quests that appear. So these are optional, of course. Like for example, in the first city, you meet an inventor named Audrey. And she's trying to create devices with like machines and mechanical devices. And you can help her out by finding blueprints. And your time powers do come into this as well in various ways in terms of this is more like an adventure game sort of style here. Where, for example, she wants you to grab blueprints from a person's shop. And then you go to that person and he says like, okay, I have these blueprints, but they're pretty old and they've been damaged over the years. So but you're a time mage, so that doesn't matter, right? You just go into the past, grab the blueprints on the past when they're freshly inked, then back to the present, then you can give them back and so on and so forth. That's the first quest. So it gets a little bit more involved than that. And by completing these side quests in each city, you are basically making the, the populace happy. You're helping more people and whatnot. And at the end of each of these cities' events, like their storylines, you at, at the end of St. Clarity, at the end of Neva Tulira, and at the end of the Cinder events, there's always something that happens where Chris Bell has to make a choice. Do I do this or this? Do I do A or B? However, if you complete all the subquests in each area, you get a third choice, and it is always the optimal choice. So unfortunately, in a way, it does make sort of the decision-making easy. It's just like, oh, if you want to make the best choice, just do the sub-events and make the best choice. You don't actually have to think about it, like which is... Yeah. Would, you know, it's, 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 not mm. like, it's not like some maybe more thoughtful Western RPGs where um, like you actually have to weigh your morals or... There's real trade-offs, or, right? Yeah. So, but, you know, I don't mind it too much. You know, smaller-scale game from an indie developer, I'm not expecting big choice and consequence 
Um, it's a comfy, cozy type of nostalgic feeling game. So it's just kind of nice to know, like, that's your reward for doing the subquest is that you can pick an optimal outcome for each of these storylines that appear. And if you pick all three optimal outcomes, that does lead to the game's best ending after that. So that's the overall structure of the game. And like I said, I beat it in about 20 hours. So it's not for an RPG. That's not very long at all. So you can beat it within a week pretty readily, I think. And I have some reservations in terms of you know, the storyline, the characters, some of the polish, the mechanics. Doesn't maintain, doesn't stay as interesting as I would have liked. Um, I'm probably going to score it a 7 out of 10. We'll see. So it's, a, it's an okay game. It's fine. I think it's, you kind of just have to go into it with the right expectations, I think, to enjoy it. Um, but yeah, that's Chris Tales. Uh, no, one of those people like, have been wondering, like, where are the twenty-hour RPGs? Well, here's one to try out. It's on Game Pass yeah. if you have that option. And hopefully, they fix out any of the bugs that that version or the Xbox version has. Also released this week. Did you know a uh, a new Pokemon game came out? I actually oh, did not yeah. know about. I did not know about this until uh, several people in RPG site staff Discord started talking about it. I did not know this existed. I don't know like what rock I've been living under, but I am talking about Pokemon Unite. And this week. Yeah, so uh what in the world, Josh, is Pokemon Unite? Oh boy, what is Pokemon Unite? Um it's a Pokemon MOBA, and for people who don't know what uh, MOBA is, uh I think the commonly accepted uh for like the listen, whatever. It's like multiplayer online battle arena. I think that's what it stands for. Uh, it's it's similar to a Dota or a League of Legends or uh, Heroes of New Earth or uh, Heroes of the Storm. Might. <laughs> so we get a Pokemon MOBA before a Pokemon Hero Shooter and before a Pokemon Battle Royale. Yeah, uh, it is very... It's a very weird concept. So this is... Uh, uh, developed by uh, a, a subsidiary of Tencent Games called Timmy Studio Group, and then alongside with the Pokemon Company as well. Um, and you know, the 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 primary target from the get go uh, with this game was the Chinese market uh, and whatnot. So this came out the the after like you know years of like uh, beta testing, alpha testing, and whatnot. This finally came out. I forget when it was first unveiled to the public. This is there was there was murmurs of this before it was officially unveiled, and I forgot when it was actually initially announced. Um, twenty nineteen, maybe was it? I believe it. Yeah, it's been a while. So this is was this uh, one of, was this one of those games? I think like Pokemon Twitter teased it, and then they announced it. And that almost was a bad idea because whenever Pokemon Twitter teases something, people are expecting like something. Here's the MMO. Yeah, oh, here's boy. like the next big 3D open yeah. world MMORPG, right? And it's like, here's the MOBA. <laughs> it's just not yeah. what people expected, it's, so they it, didn't it, even it, give it, it a chance. Yeah, it's, had a, it's had a rough marketing cycle because obviously this is not really what core Pokemon fans want. But for people like me who hasn't really played a Pokemon game in a really long time, really... I, I I picked up Pokemon Quest for like a few, I mean, I'll say like an hour maybe at most. It was like with that cube game. Uh, that was weird. Blech. Yeah. Um. So in in the same vein, this is uh up up to five v five uh 
real people can uh, go head to head against each other, and like uh, a Dota or a, a League of Legends, you all start in this home base, and then it's split into two lanes: uh, top lane, the bottom lane, and then in the the middle is sort of like a jungle area. And like those games, uh, uh, every new match, everyone starts at level one, and then they uh, beat up these uh, m- these neutral monsters. So uh, either the the any side can beat these up, these neutral creeps. Uh, creeps. They, they form, yeah, that's what they call them. That's the terminology. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 Nova, that's, hey, that's the Nova technology. The creeps. That's the, those are that's, like the. That's the, the, me. I didn't know that. That's like the neutral monsters that you beat up in uh, Dota and League and all, all those other MOBAs. Those that's the that's the common uh, universal term. For right. Those. Okay. Yeah, so just things. not not to interrupt, but as yeah. uh, as that probably just made evident, this is my first MOBA. So I haven't a clue what that means. I thought Josh yeah. was being like, "Yeah, no, that's weirder." Oh <laughs> uh, no, I, I just uh, just for some background, I played Dota. Like, I, I've long quit Dota, but I I played Dota for at least two hundred hours before I quit. I right. played uh, Heroes of New Earth for a good amount of time as well. I uh, see so the um, two viewpoints are newbie and newbie yeah, veteran. I, I also played Heroes of the Storm. I never touched League, um, but yeah, I play. I played a a somewhat a fair amount of MOBA. People will say, ah, it's that's no no amount of hours. It's like, yeah, it's probably fair. So I was going through this, I was like, ah, okay, I'm i I've done with MOBAs. And then my uh some close friends of mine were trying out for trying it out for jokes. And then they're like, ah, this can't be good. And then all of a sudden, few like as the day went on, it's like, I think this is actually good, guys. Like, what? What? <laughs> so everyone as more and more people started checking it out, we all got hooked and fuck. This game is fun as shit. So as you're uh, beating up these creeps and leveling up and uh, making sure that the enemy doesn't get close to you, uh, yeah, you you would uh, learn abilities as you level up. So let's say I have Pikachu, and his two starting abilities is Thunderbolt and Electronet. And Thunderbolt is a basic uh, is a basic uh, zap attack directly if they, if they step into your zone. Uh, and then an electronet is you spit uh, a net of electricity at them that uh, renders them immobile for like a few, like a, a second or two. And then uh, as you level up, say the level four, uh, you can uh, evolve this, um, was it the, the electronet move either into uh, an electric ball or another ability that's like a, a thunder ability of some sort. And then it, it'll transform that move. So you no longer have Electronet, but like I, I prefer choosing Electro Ball. So I, I now fling a huge uh, uh, ball of electricity at opponents that does that does AOE damage. So it transforms that ability as you level up. And then the same thing with the with my Thunderbolt ability. Uh, eventually, at a certain level, I can choose between this um, ability that stuns them, like an AOE stun. Or another or another ability that I don't really use. I think it's like a, a tackle or a volt tackle or some sort, um, where you kind of rush them down um, and interrupt their ability if they're casting one. And then so as you, as you as you level up, obviously you're you're making these decisions about what what kind of uh, ability move set you want, along with like in uh, other mobas at like at level seven or level eight, you'll get your ult ability that will charge up, and then once you do that. Um, It'll uh, unleash an uh, ultimate attack that'll have to has a long cooldown. So for Pikachu, that's hey, I'll summon a 
crap load of like a thunder zone around me and anyone who steps in this zone gets zapped by really powerful lightning and whatnot. So, so that's- with the various Pokemon, so it's like a team-based game, right? Yeah. Do different Pokemon have different like like a football team, like they have different roles, they yes. do different things. Mm-hmm. So so you have you have MOBA your, is like a football game. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it really is like these are these are these type of games how I'll have like strict roles. So you'll have your maybe, do like, maybe instead of maybe you can make the argument it's like chess or something. I don't know. Yeah. So like you like in this one like Eldegoss or whatever it's called is like the, your support role. It has a lot of healing abilities and making sure that everyone's uh, good to go for the upcoming fight. They're not like the biggest damaging Pokemon or whatever. They're they're a strictly support role that uh, also has to uh get levels uh as well and get their own move set and uh, as you as you're defeating creeps um and other players uh even by just sticking by a person or like getting at least one hit on them you'll get like some of the experience but anyone who gets the last hit on like a player or a creep they'll get more experience because they got the last hit on them and whatnot so that's kind of the, that's a common mechanic in other moba games so uh Every every Pokemon is different. This doesn't have like uh, the whole roster. There's like maybe twenty or so Pokemon, and uh, as you were saying, there's the different types. There's like a, a an attack role, uh, a defender role, and a support role. Um, and certain Pokemon uh, has have their evolutions um, represented in this game. So Venusaur, for example, when you start out the game, uh, it's a Bulbasaur. And as you level up and you get like a uh, your your first like move, it'll evolve to an Ivysaur, and then once you get your ult, uh, it'll uh, evolve to a Venusaur. And uh, yeah, I was actually going to ask like if uh, evolutions were actually part of the game because I haven't seen anything about this. I know people yeah. are playing it, but I haven't really paid attention because I've played MOBAs in the past. I've enjoyed them, but and this is going to be really really weird. But the only MOBA I've ever actually really gelled with was paragon <laughs> nice uh it's yeah it's definitely not for everyone but it is easily the most accessible what types of these games that have been released to the market to this date it's a uh, it helps because it doesn't control control like shit on the on the switch controller yeah all the movement is done uh, via the control stick not through a mouse like you're pathing uh your uh your character um and the the way you switch uh or get new abilities it's all done by the by the triggers so your abilities are your r and zr button and then uh, how you choose them when they first pop up is like just that that same button and whatnot so and then like auto attacking is done by holding a down and it'll attack the closest target but then there's like an advanced control option in the main menu or in the options menu if you want where you can uh Either prioritize a player or a creep if they're the if you're if they're in the attack zone. So you can like prioritize hitting them or hitting the creep in that uh, when you're doing your auto attack and whatnot. So there's there's a there's a, a good amount of depth into it, but not so much. And the reason why this I like this game is because unlike most other similar games in the market that can easily take twenty to fifty minute matches, and it's like it's like oh man, it's such a big time commitment for every match. Uh, the max amount of time any match in this game can ever last for is 10 minutes. That's it. Uh, and that's just the standard 5v5 mode. Uh, after a certain player rank, you you can unlock a quick match mode that has a 3v3 and 4v4 option, and those are a strict 5 minutes as well. Uh, that's nice. So- you can just load up the game and, like, I have 
an hour to spare, I can get a handful of matches in. Yeah, it really it really does help. So even like if you're uh, if you're losing by a big amount and your uh, team doesn't want to surrender, your teammates don't want to surrender. At least the 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 pain is not that all that long. You know, I've, because if you if you try to quit out of a match as you're um, in game, it'll obviously penalize you. Like, hey, don't disconnect during the match. Um, so it has all those sorts of penalties and whatnot. Um, so the the main thing that really distinguishes uh, distinguishes this from other games of this nature, uh, besides the hard like short time limit, is the objective as well. And the other games like Dota and Heroes of New Earth. You have this structure at the enemy base that to uh, like if they if the enemy doesn't surrender, obviously by by that point, you have to go push onto their base and uh, uh, destroy the structure that they're tra- all trying to defend and whatnot. And that that process in itself could take a while, depending on how the flow of the match goes. In this one, it's a, a score attack where every creep that you kill. Every enemy that you that, that you kill, and then they drop like these energy orbs, and then as you're collecting these orbs, the, the, you get these energy points. And the the goal of this is to uh, get into an enemy platform and other uh, mobas like Dota, where like there there are these there are these towers that would usually attack you. These uh, these ones these tower like structures are they don't attack you. But if the enemy team uh, like stays in them, they'll they'll regenerate health while staying in them, while you um, you get slowed down. So you're trying to dunk these energy points that you accrued by kills into these tower structures, and whoever has the most points by the end of that five to ten minute timer wins. And so not I, only do you have to like earn the points, you actually have to deposit then, them to actually yeah, have them count. Yeah. So, yeah. so you, I, I know I was watching you stream it where you might have 30 points or whatever. I don't know if that's a lot or not. That's pretty um, yep. And then, you know, you might be trying to make your way to one of these enemy hoops or whatever you want to call it. And, but if they, if they defend it well and get you, then it's kind of, you just wasted those points. Yeah. That, so I, like uh, every time you die, like say I have 30 points, it'll take like a little over 50% of those points and like just drop them for the enemy team to pick up. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. we'll take all, all your points and whatnot if you had like that a low amount of points. So there, there is you know some uh, penalty to death because now they're they could potentially uh, s- like score with the points that they stole from you. Uh, I, I don't and, I don't know if this is a good comparison or not because I, I haven't really played a MOBA, but it sort of reminds me of like a more involved version of capture the flag where you can capture you can grab the flag, but it doesn't mean anything until you get it back to oh, no, yeah. where it needs to go. Although I know it's not quite the same as that yeah. in terms of where you're actually going with it, but like mm-hmm. you, you have it's, to get the points and then deposit them. So yeah, it's it's also really funny too because it it's like such a lighthearted game on the surface. It, it really is because of like the just it has iconic Pokemon <laughs> animations. So you'll have uh, Snorlax as a playable character, and one of the uh, abilities Snorlax has is just it can just like sleep. It can just do rest. So it'll just like lay on the ground for like a few seconds, recovering a lot of its health, just like in battle. So sometimes I'll be like in top line, top lane, you'll see these two Snorlaxes waddle against each other, try to like slap each other, <laughs> you know, try to fight for control. I, I, was actually watching, I was actually watching you stream it and having like these two Snorlaxes, one on each on each team, right, face off. 
And it was kind of funny because they have an ability to sleep and heal, and they were like fighting, and then like they both fall asleep to heal, and then they. This fight reminds similar. me of that really early anime episode where it's two metapods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to see metapods added to Pokemon Unite. And, and it's really cool whenever you dunk these points in. It's actually like a basketball dunk uh, on that tower. So it's like have like Pikachu like hold this energy ball and just like do a slam dunk to the to deposit. I, I remember I remember seeing the key arts where Pikachu is like dunking a ball. I'm like, what is this? Like a yeah. basketball spinoff? No. Like if it's like Bulbasaur, it actually it actually like it actually use its vine whips to to dunk yeah. that as well. So it's really it's really funny. Um, I've been having a blast with it. Some of the more finer key mechanics to it, besides just being a score attack, uh, is it, these initial towers that the enemy has, they can uh, both break down because they will have like an initial HP pool of like 100. So once 100 points are, or more are deposited into it, it'll keep on going until there's a central uh, tower structure right in front of their base that has no HP pool, so you can continually dunk and dunk into, into there without having to worry that'll break down you have to push further because that's the last structure um at the two minute mark in a standard game or two i think two to three minutes i think it's a two minute mark the uh, a zapdos will appear um at the center of the of the playing field and this kind of like the the key comeback mechanics so if you're losing badly if you can secure zapdos there's a good chance that you might actually be able to swing it around at the final stretch because uh, killing Zapdos uh, not only gives all of your teammates uh, an additional 20 points to whatever points that they have, but it leaves all your uh, enemy uh, towers defenseless in a defenseless state. And what that means is they can't use it to heal. Uh, uh, no, they can't just uh, sit in those towers to heal anymore. And uh, the amount of time it takes to deposit uh, energy points is severely reduced almost instantaneously. And whatever you deposit into them will double. So you can so if you have like 50 points on you, you can you can cash it in for a hundred points, and that's a big, big swing in the grand scheme of things. And then now yeah. go for it. Sorry. Uh so the Zapdos is like this optional boss target, like neutral target that either team can take on for this yep. bonus effect. I don't. I don't think you mentioned this. There's only one for the at least for the five on five matches. There's only one battlefield at the moment, so it's always the same. It's always a Zapdos. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. At the moment, there's only one. Uh, there, there's one map for the five v five and a more condensed version of that in the four v four. In the three v three, there's actually a different map in it to accommodate a way uh, smaller uh, player base in that match. So. The okay. the way that the three v three works is it has like rotating, um, uh, like platforms that only move one way, and there's a different boss in it, but I don't think it has the same effect in that. I I don't haven't really messed with three v three too much. I forgot what the boss is called. It's like a big robot like Pokemon, and there's only there's only two, two tower like structures in it that have infinite health. So it's like it's it's kind of like a free for all almost. In that in that condensed version, but other than that, you are correct that there's only one main stage at the moment, uh, at the launch date of this game. So I, I imagine as uh, as this game continues to go on, they'll add more and more. Um, so that that's the swing mechanic with Zapdos. There are other mechanics that are kind of lesser bosses of Zapdos, where there's like a Rotom and a Dread Dreadmaw, and with a Rotom uh, that will spawn at the very top end of the screen. Um, 
if you uh, beat it for your team, like you get the last hit on it, it'll join your site and push that lane with you. And if it, uh, it, it makes contact with a with an enemy base during its march, it'll uh, render that's the uh, particular tower defenseless. So you can uh, cash in points uh, more readily that way. And then with the dread maw at the bottom, if you kill that, it'll get it'll give all your teammates uh, an energy regen and a shield with them for a limited amount of time. Uh, another mechanic with it is the the jungle area where in uh, other mobas. Uh, they have a very similar thing where there are uh, creeps that uh, special creeps in there where you can use to like uh, farm uh, more uh, speedily. So there are definitely characters like Zora Aura or Cinderace or um, what was the other one? Absol. I don't know this Pokemon. Yeah, I know. I've, I'm trying to remember them because I don't like from the game, not necessarily from the Pokemon games. <laughs> so the, the, those are kind of like the jungler type characters where. They will extend their late bloomers. They will excel, but they really need the levels very fast uh, to to get there. So um, they, they use this jungle area on their own to to get there. Usually, uh, the, the standard structure of a team and uh, certain uh, types of these jungle enemies will also give you special abilities if you um, uh, if you kill them, and they'll give you special buffs for a little bit of out time. So one of them might uh, give you this like purple aura where all your uh, basic attacks slows an enemy down, which could be very, very useful. Um, so that's kind of the basic flow of the game. It's very fun. Outside of the game, of course, there's a, there's a free-to-play game. Um, so I haven't spent a cent on it yet, but there are all sorts of currencies that you might, might imagine to go um, stylize your tra- uh, trainer character with like uh, swag and whatnot. And I have a special shirt, uh, get some socks, some good socks on you. Um, and you won't ever really see these in the in the heat of battle, but you know you gotta you gotta look the part to play the part. You know what I'm saying? You and, can customize uh, your avatar's socks, but yep. you can't take off their shoes. Just uh, for anyone that needs to know this piece of information. <laughs> yeah, the, the Brian specifically asked me, "Can you take off their shoes?" I'm like, "Well, well just <laughs> like if you have fancy socks, you uh-huh. can't appreciate them because right. you 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 have to look at what if you have basic ass shoes." But you've mm-hmm. spent a lot of money on these really dope socks, and you can only see like the ankle. Like, what's the okay. what's the fun in that? See? All right, fair point, fair point. And then, to, and then you can also have uh, some Pokemon have special summer skins at the moment. So my Venusaur, after since I logged in for three or four days in a row, he has a summer set, and my Venusaur has like goggles now with a big ass Hawaiian shirt, ready to go, having uh, the time of his life. Um, some some Pokemon like uh, Talonflame has a super special skin that I I assume you can like roll from like the in-game gotcha or whatever. But uh, like the in-game gotcha isn't actually like you don't spend like real money on it. I don't think. Um, but so if you hover over this special Talonflame skin, it has like a whole big cinematic on it to introduce it as it's flying like a jet engine and whatnot. I'm like all right, Talonflame privileged privileged but it looks nice um but the, i think the real concern about it because the a lot of the prevailing um conversation about this game that people are understandably worried about as the game progresses is that there's an element of you can kind of pay your way to get uh more powerful faster because it adopts the league of legends rune system in a way where um 
you can equip your Pokemon with withheld items. So you can, I can, uh, equip like any of my Pokemon with uh with these three held items. It could be like an Apple, which will give HP plus sixteen, and then another item will give Attack plus one, and then another one which may give like uh, uh movement speed for like uh, I I don't know about the other one. I forgot what it was, but it was like let's say movement speed plus one and whatnot. You can actually level these items up with item enhancers. So uh, up to like level twenty, so they all start at level one, and then say I, I feed my uh, attack plus item like uh, uh, item enhancers for like for like to level ten. It'll have like a, maybe attack plus ten or something, and then these are permanent buffs to them. They're persistent throughout every game. They're not like something that you consume. They're there's like items that you equip. Um, so people are really worried. Of, like you get you can get these item enhancers. Um. As you play the game, like as you're completing like in-game missions and achievements or not, so there is like a a free way to like buff these items, and it'll just take a while while people can just purchase uh, currency to buy item enhancers to level them up faster. So that's the one big worry for for people at the moment. Like, how will this game progress? Especially, at, you know, if you want to deal more damage and whatnot, and it. For some for some characters, like it doesn't really matter because like Zoro or Gengar, for example, like they're 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 specialists, they're melee specialists that like kill you so fast, like it doesn't really matter if you if you um have like held items with them or not, I'd say. And then the but there are counters to them, like say um like with Gengar, you have to like manually target his stuff. You have to get like really you have to be pretty precise with Gengar to um do a lot of damage with him very fast. But Zoro Aura if you see a Zoroara coming, you can uh, like either rely on your team or stay in a safe spot because Zoroara can't can't really do much if you stun stun it like or uh, do a lot of just things to interrupt his abilities. So in certain so in certain circumstances, your specific stats or hold items fall well short of just skill and technique, but yeah. in some other cases, it might actually turn the tide. So yeah, it's like I, I don't, maybe I don't maybe know. the pay to win, but pay to have the best possible chance. Yeah, it's like like pay, it's basically pay to progress these items faster. But yeah. I think I think right now at the state of the game, it's so early on. Who can really say? And at the moment, team synergy and like is key. You know, the, right. this is a this is a very teamwork type game. Like no matter if like the the enemy team has like a lot of like maybe powerful items, if they're disorganized or just not like doing smart plays then obviously they're going to lose because th this is something that you're playing for an objective you're playing to um have the highest score not to have the most skills you know what i'm saying yeah i i've spoken on for so long uh, uh, about this game george i know you're playing this game this is kind of like your first moba tell me about what you you're what you've been up to with this game uh so it was really just played on a whim it was just like oh this is free. Give it a go. So I started playing with uh, Nintendo Insider's Alex Seedhouse, uh, and I literally intended just an hour just to check it out after like some positive buzz, and then we ended up playing for I think three hours. And then earlier today, I played like half an hour on my own, just jump back in. It's just very like cozy. I, d I don't know if I'd ever go into it like competitively or if I'd even like bother with rank. I, I want to do it. Like you know, like I, like it's it's fun to do it like a pre-made like hey you're playing with friends and let's try out ranked, but. You know, you don't have to go super deep or hardcore into it. It's just uh, th this game is very suitable just to have a fun time. Yeah, it's like, like cozy is just the right word for it. Sort of thing I'd pop on if I was just chat on Discord. 
Um, I play Cinderace whenever I can, and then Pikachu, because I, I guess I'm just like incredibly boring. And then it will be Greninja and Lucario since I get them. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't have any really like massive thoughts on it. I just, I, I would recommend it to people like me who've never played a MOBA. Uh, I don't think this is going to inspire me to go play Smite, because if the Ninja Turtles can do it, then P- uh, Pokemon certainly can't. But yeah, it's good fun, and it's free, so you might as well check it out. Yeah, it's a surprise release that I mentioned at the top that I had never really heard of. Like I was living under a rock, but it seems like it fit with the uh, with the style of game better than it might appear on paper. So it'll be interesting to see like how they uh, support this game going forward. And obviously, they have a huge pool of Pokemon they can add to it and all that. And it'll be interesting to see what sort of legs it has. Before we go into the news topics, of which there's not that many, honestly, it's a lot of follow up some things that we kind of broached last week. Uh, we do have a couple features that are up on RPGSite.net that I do want to uh, introduce. Uh, one of them, uh, yours truly wrote. Uh, during this last week, it was the 20th anniversary of the release of Final Fantasy X. And that was my first Final Fantasy game. It was, in a lot of ways, for me, kind of a gateway RPG. A gateway JRPG, at least. So I wrote up a little, like, 1,000-word just kind of feature, just going over what it meant to me and how when I play it as an adult, it means a little bit more than when I played it as an 11-year-old where I was just kind of like starry-eyed and dumbfounded. So a little bit of a personal kind of recollection of what that game means to me. I put that up on the site. That was pretty well. That was pretty good. Well written. Thanks, Mood. Yeah. yeah. I, I was the, just going to yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> the, the main thesis of it was that when I had played it as a kid, I hadn't really experienced loss or grief. I was just young and, you know, and a lot of those things just didn't mean anything to me. But when you play it as an adult, when you've had to say goodbye to your some of your grandparents or your old friends or things like that, it means a little bit different. It just it just hit a little bit different. It resonated in a different way. Yeah. So impressionable. Um, it only means something if you've played Final Fantasy X. So just a heads up on that. Another feature that was up on the site was one that James wrote, and it yep. was about soul sacrifice. So I'll just give you like a, a couple minutes to talk about what you put up pertaining to that game. Yeah, I, I'd like to say that there was also a reason for writing that article, like a, a um, an anniversary or whatnot, but there wasn't. Just uh, Alex has been wanting us to do more feature type articles, and I was like, well, actually, I've been kind of mulling around in my thoughts on Soul Sacrifice, and I sent him a pitch. He said, yeah, that that's good, so published it. Hell of a um, game. Yeah, hell of a game. Um, so obviously, I love Monster Hunter. I've played a ton of Monster Hunter. I've even seen this podcast that I've put over a thousand hours in the Monster Hunter world. So obviously, <laughs> when when you've played Monster Hunter so much, chances are you've checked out the other games. Like especially myself, since I, I'm I was a huge Vita fan, I wanted to check out what sorts of games were like Monster Hunter on the Vita. And Soul Sacrifice was one of those interesting ones because. First off, it's like the one, like one of two games that Comcept actually managed to release before they got bought out by level five. Like it was Soul Sacrifice and then it was Mighty Number no. Nine, which is absolutely odd <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> um, but Not yeah, it was trajectory, like, you know. But I yeah, I don't know how they got Mighty Number no. Nine to that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's weird. Um, but. I love Soul Sacrifice. The world building, the aesthetic, the soundtrack, the gameplay was the weakest part, but everything else surrounding it 
is just it's something else like every like in monster hunter you you do like the monsters are iconic because of their designs and because of the weapons and armor you can craft from them of course but soul sacrifice had a different thing where every monster was originally a person and they became a monster because of a wish or a desire they had that got warped by this otherworldly pale chalice and for every uh one of the uh, monsters that you either um sacrifice or save you actually get access to this um backstory for them and like every single monster in the game has a short story that details like what led to them becoming a monster in the first place like what were they suffering what did they desire and it's fascinating because you have what like multi-page long and for some some of these monsters are like a decent sized short story it's like 10 or 12 pages and every single one has it and it's very it's, much like the elevator pitch i'd say to people is like if if near had a monster hunter clone this would probably be it because it is, it is it is dark fantasy and a lot of it is like grimoire imagery like you're like the main the like the first thing you see in the game is like this like cursed grimoire and, ha- and like it's it's real it's a really interesting type of game but yeah so i was doing some research on the game when uh when i was writing up the article and it i just looking through the game's credits it's really depressing how many of the developers that worked on soul sacrifice delta just haven't done anything since like Teruhiro shimogawa was the director and uh, basically in charge of all of the world building for soul sacrifice which that's basic and he was like the uh behind the story so yeah like obviously um obviously uh inafune was credited as being the creator for soul sacrifice but if you actually look into the proper credits it's clear to say that it was shimogawa's baby mm-hmm. like he was he was behind it and he hasn't done anything since soul sacrifice delta and he was still at level five well he was still at yeah, he was at level five. He still was at um, Concept until last year where he left. And mm. that's the same thing for a lot of the people that worked on the game. Like, um, many many of them just haven't done anything since. Like, Japan Studio con- um, contributed to the game, obviously, and everyone knows what happens with them. Like, well, what happened? And... Funnily enough, the only developers that have continued to do anything that worked on uh, Soul Sacrifice were the portion of Marvelous that went on to work on um, Monster Hunter stories and uh, helped with development of God Eater 3. So it's kind of ironic that a game that, even if in practice it wasn't really competing against Monster Hunter, I don't think so. But on paper, it was obviously kind of designed to fill that gap that the Vita had without any like sort of Monster Hunter game on it. It's kind of ironic that the only developers that have actively been working on games since have either continued to work on Monster Hunter like contemporaries or literally a spin-off series for Monster Hunter. I think that's the that's the weird kind of shame about that era of video games when it came out was uh, all these games that were trying to do their own take of the Monster Hunter formula. 
but for a good chunk of the audience, it's like, ah, oh, it's just another Monster Hunter clone. Who has time for that? When you're thinking about Tokiden, Freedom Wars, God Eater. Yeah. Um, there, there, there's, like, there's like a Final Fantasy one, the Ragnarok Odyssey. Um, yeah. Yeah, not just, all those were not all yeah. those were great. Like uh, Final Fantasy Explorers, I want to say it was. That they was think that good. sounds right. Yeah, yeah. like uh, all of them weren't hits, but the, uh, unfortunately, like the ones that were good, kind of was still it was still lumped in with the ones that weren't good. So it was just it was hard to convince people. Hey, this is actually a really awesome one. Yeah, and obviously, like once Sony got the confirmation that Monster Hunter World was going to be on PS4, even if they had greenlit a Soul Sacrifice 2, they're not going to put that money towards developing it because the whole reason they wanted Soul Sacrifice in the first place was to have a Monster Hunter-type game on their platform. And once you actually have Monster Hunter on your platform, they're not going to give a shit about... (laughs) Yeah, like like yeah, now now that Monster Hunter is back at like the these these big consoles, like you don't like they were able to like justify, hey, let's get God Eater three out, <laughs> and then after that, there's no new God Eater since. Well, yeah, and it's 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 a shame because I do feel like with how successful Monster Hunter is, there is enough space for games like it to do well. The problem is, is just that developers working on those types of games don't develop them to get a slice of the pie it's like the call of duty killer problem or the halo killer or the world of warcraft killer thing where it's like they don't publishers don't fund these games to get a slice of the pie they they fund these games to get the slice of the pie and Mm -hmm. when they don't think they can usurp monster hunter or if they don't think that they can usurp call of duty or world of warcraft and stuff like that once they make their attempt it doesn't work out they're just gonna give up and especially now with like monster hunter is like a stronger franchise now than it's ever been like monster hunter world over 17 million copies sold and in all likelihood by the time it's done selling it'll probably pass 20 million this would be the time to like uh, uh, push out one of these, uh, either re-release them or, or make a new one too, because now more people than ever are interested in the Monster Hunter formula. Yeah. But anyways, I just... Soul Sacrifice Delta is still my favorite Vita game. I absolutely love it, and I just... I guess the best way to put it is that the article was a bit more of a eulogy than anything else, just because... I know damn well that the series is basically dead and there's like zero chance that we'll ever see another one. Even a re-release, you know? Yeah. But you think it's the one that out of all of those Monster Hunter clones, it was the one that, as Tail says, deserved better or should have persisted. Well, it wasn't even because of it being a Monster Hunter clone. It was like my whole argument was that, yeah, it was sold as a Monster Hunter clone, but if you actually played it, it was very much its own thing. That's yeah. very different. But yep, so both of those articles are up on the website. And the last uh, features that we have on the site are all around um, Genshin Impact 2.0. So we did some some guides about the Inazuma region, some guides about the Sakura Bloom locations, and other stuff involved in the quests there. So obviously Chow helped out putting those together, and those are up on the site. In the news slash topical section, uh, there really is no key headline. I know I've said stated that a few times. 
But here is something that is a little bit to chew on for fans of certain semi seemingly dormant Atlas projects. So we talked obviously last week about the big Persona 25th anniversary website slash upcoming reveals for that big, you know, tentpole franchise for them. The first one coming, you know, in a couple months in September. Uh, but there was also an interview in Weekly Famitsu with Atlas manager Naoto Hiroaka. I probably didn't pronounce it very well about other Atlas projects that we haven't heard about in a while or we don't know what to expect from them in the future. So no, no, no reveals here, just some teases and just some things to speculate about in addition to the Persona 25th anniversary stuff. So the two that I want to highlight is that they do say that they will be able to share more news on Etrian Odyssey uh, to everyone as soon as it's possible. And they, a little bit of a update on the long dormant Project Re-Fantasy, which, as far as I'm aware, unless I missed something, we haven't really seen since its reveal back in, like, what, 2017 with its initial trailer. I don't know if, Adam, <laughs> if you had some... The funny thing about Project Re-Fantasy is the, the last time it actually popped up was, like, in some Etrian Odyssey Nexus DLC, I think, like, as a portrait. Yeah, if I remember really? Correctly. Yeah. It's, I don't even uh, know if it's a portrait or like a similar color scheme, but yeah. as the uh, art character. I mean, Weird. Project Refantasy is made by a new studio, or I don't know, they're not really new anymore, right? Uh, a newly established studio like Project Zero or Studio Zero, something like that, right? Uh, at Atlas. And what's, what was sort of weird is that that studio then, they, they announced they're working on this Project Refantasy, and then they ended up being the ones behind the Catherine like enhanced port and now they're back on refantasy and um you know we all we have is like some concept art and like a teaser trailer and that's we're interested you know it's got the uh it's got hashino behind it he's the former persona boss basically so it's more of a it's something different for atlas it's it seems to be more like fantasy you know it's not occult and demony like smt and it's not modern you know world japan japan like persona um so it's i'm interested to see what that'll be like but we, we have to attend about the academy it. In, the, in the game sorry until we have to attend at the at academy in the game oh yeah it'll be a, it'll be a school rpg <laughs> at, uh, in, oh, <laughs> at high fantasy like castle school or something i don't know um shibuya yeah etrian odyssey uh, Nexus released in 2018, right? Or 19? 19. 19. Um, 19. Not that long ago. A few years ago. Uh, obviously, all those games were on either DS or 3DS. So now the next one is interesting because, like, is it just it's going to be a Switch game, perhaps? Just a single screen dungeon crawler RPG. Plenty of those exist, but Etrian Odyssey is sort of unique in that. You draw the map. It, you draw your own maps with the with the dual screen. So like, how is that going to work? Will it work? Will it just be different? Who knows? Um, it has never had an HD game. Now, whatever they do, it's going to be an HD game now. Finally, I'm interested. I miss Etrian Odyssey, but we'll see. Yeah. So basically, they just said to stay tuned, and for both of those projects, really. So, uh, just kind of admitting that they still exist, that they're still in their mind share. Uh, but nothing to announce just yet. So just stuff to chew on that to know is that they they realize that those have been absent and are aware that people are eager to learn more about them. So yeah. So what are you saying? They they have five or six development <coughs> lines and about ten when you include vanillaware 
and other external companies. So creating a new persona, the new vanillaware game, whatever Etrian Etrian Odyssey is gonna be Project Re Fantasy, that's four. So let's count S and T five. That's yeah, I guess, you know, yeah. obviously the most occurrence, that's five. Five. Mm. Uh Trauma Team. Oh, okay. I'm in. <laughs> I'm interesting. In interesting no, in that. The Trauma Team is actually one of my favorite games on the Wii. It's actually definitely one of my favorite games of all time. There was um ooh man. Uh let me see if I can remember it. I don't know. I don't know entirely it, it, for sure, but they used to have like an SMT team and the Double Survivor team. The Double Survivor team ended up working on Tokyo Mirage sessions after the Double Survivor games. I believe I'm not confident on this. I believe those teams basically merged to work on SMT five. It's like all the SMT people and all the Double Survivor people are now all on that. And you can even yeah. see an SMT five. It's got like you the Tokyo Mirage UI. sessions UI. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so. Um, they have, I don't know exactly who did the Nocturne remaster. Uh, that may not even be internal. That just might be, you know, an outsourced studio. I'm not even sure on that. So uh, speaking of tra trauma center, uh, the, that reminded me, um, the credit pers to persona trend central on this translation, there was this big Famitsu issue that came out this past week. Famitsu had this, uh, anniversary and whatnot was, uh, you know, they, they had, uh, interviews with several, uh, people in the Japanese game industry. Um, apparently, Trauma Center's second opinion was one of the uh, five most important games that Atlas General Manager of Consumer Software, Naoto Hiraoka, uh, worked on because of its unexpected reception overseas, which emphasized the importance of the overseas market. That's what the tweet says. So, Apparently, Trauma Center's second opinion was a, a big turning point in Atlas history uh, with its uh, positive reception worldwide. Uh, the, the coincide with the Famitsu anniversary was also Atlas's like 35th. Uh, your anniversary as as well, so they're kind of like celebrating it together, and that's why they went out and like uh, spoke about you know uh, with the Atlas uh, team. We also know that Vanillaware is working on something, you know, which isn't surprising, but yeah, it only it only take maybe the the next decade. It'll only take another six years. Yeah, that's about how long Thirteen Sentinels took, but it seemed like that was worth it. So for sure, um, yeah, but yeah, that's the vanilla vanilla is God bless them, you know, because they are they're such a small team who still believes in the in, in the two D dream, which mm -hmm. I I support one hundred percent. We got a new trailer for the upcoming Lost Judgment. We did talk about this at length about the weird contractual issues with uh, Sega and the Johnny's talent agency involving the PC release. A little bit more down to just pure vanilla marketing. We got a regular trailer for the upcoming uh, console game. Uh, a five-minute trailer that just shows all the different sort of variety of events that you kind of come to expect in an RGG Studios game, from the just the basic detective work to the mini-games to explaining why uh, you play part of the game in a high school, as like you're undercover as like a high school counselor or of some sort. As well mm -hmm. as it shows that one of the locations in this game is Yokohama, which made an appearance in Yakuza 7. So kind of a cool little like uh, crossover there, because obviously these two games do two place in like the same universe. So a big fully featured trailer uh, that I haven't played the original game, so I don't know like how it compares to what suite of events were in the original Judgment. But there you can play. Yeah. You can play Sonic the Fighters. Hell yeah! <laughs> oh yeah, that was funny. Where it's like, here's an official 
uh, screenshot from Judgment, and it was just a screen capture from Sonic the Fighter as a <laughs> Sonic fighting Amy. Uh, yeah, so fun trailer. Yeah. Looks like it's going to be a fun, fun. game. Uh, you can definitely see like there are enhancements to combat. There's like mid combat QTEs almost, um, so to spice it up. But it, uh, it looks really, really fun. You know, all they showed all the side active. Well, I don't know if it's all the side activities. You saw boxing, uh, robot uh, battling, um, motorcycles. It looks crazy. I'm I'm very excited for it. I've also really, I'm very interested to see how RGD Studio will handle the story because it seems like the plot is. Uh, focusing on the very, very, very delicate topic of like bullying and being bullied in Scully, you know. So right. we'll see how that shakes out. Another follow up from last week: we obviously had the big Shin Megami Tensei story trailer, which introduced a lot of characters, introduced showed a ton of footage, both gameplay and like cutscene wise. And a lot of people kind of speculated about Adam brought it up about how the different characters in the SMT series kind of serve as almost proxies for uh, specific routes in the game, almost equally as much as they are their own characters. We got follow-up information about everyone that was sort of introduced in that trailer and bios for the different characters that you meet in Shin Megami Tensei 5. They have a Shin Megami Tensei direct (laughs) for this game. That's weird. What what are they they formatted like a... like a news like a report yeah <laughs> and they call it volume one so there's more to come and the, the the most surprising thing about this is uh it had like when they released this video like it also had already supported like full english captions is already fully subtitled ready to go uh from the get-go so that, that was yeah really so it wasn't yeah it wasn't an english uh separate you know listing it was you used literally the closed captioning feature of the stream to to get the english subtitles uh, but yeah, it introduces all the characters. It shows how they're related to how how the protagonist gets involved with them and the Bethel organization. And people are still, I presume, speculating on who ends up, you know, being the proxy for which sort of ending or route in the in the yeah. game. I think people are assuming that like the glasses guy is the law guy, and then the <laughs> more like the, the the not Ryuji is the chaos guy. The so. stereotype. Not Ryuji. <laughs> He's, he's like a bleached hair, you know, doofus. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's, like, he's some he's weird a streamer. He's some weird, like, like demon child between like uh, Mark and Ryuji. So I don't. He's yeah, it's a, it's a, one thing that's kind of funny. He's a streamer. Yeah, yeah. and apparently he's like live streaming on his phone uh, yeah, when the it. event happened. I really, I, really oh, so I, didn't, I didn't realize it was on his phone. Like he's doing like the Twitch Twitch IRL thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, or whatever. I like it. Uh, I also do like how the prime minister is like also like the leader of this organization. And he just, he looks like, uh, I can't, I'm blanking on the name. I played devil summoner, sorry, survivor. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, chaos route in that game had a very similar character. Oh, I'm blanking yeah. on the name. Damn it. I don't, I forget his name but, too. I hate, I hate yeah. people because they, they're like, he looks like a Japanese Bruce Wade. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> God damn it. Like I love his like his uh, just his uh, key visual artwork Hayao Koshimizu. Oh my god, that is so funny! It is so funny. The, the interesting thing about this is uh, when we you know we got names for Tao, Yuzuru, uh, Ichiro, and Miyazu. It, it confirmed that uh, both um, Yuzuru and uh, Miyazu are siblings. Uh, yeah. So there's a sort of a sibling relationship. Miyazu, we don't know what she. 
does. And actually, it wasn't clear that she was a woman to begin with because she's got kind of like a boyish haircut. Um, But she's a little sister character. She didn't really show up in the trailer outside of one scene. So yeah, that means the person I was thinking of from Devil Survivor was Kaido. So I'm thinking uh, Koshimizu from Shin Megami Tensei 5, the prime minister, apparently reminds me of Kaido. So there, that's the point yeah. I was trying to make, and I failed. The Asha finally clarified, like, you know, exactly what Magatsuhi skills are, which is, you know, to, to, what everyone guesses is that Magatsuhi bar lets you uh, activate special skills, like uh, ones that can buff you up to full for three turns uh, very fast, or a very special, like, crazy attack. Um, and then they confirmed that enemies can use Magatsuhi skills against you as well, so uh, bosses will be interesting. I think the, the, the one cool thing that, per- personally for me, was... They announced these two new demons after the broadcast. Uh, Hayatoro, which is a demon dog, uh, part of Japanese mythology. But they finally got uh, mythology from the Philippines. They have Filipino lore uh, in this with uh, Maranangal, which is, uh, its design is, it's crazy. You'll get very, like, disturbed by it, but it is pretty lore accurate to what the mythology is behind this uh, Filipino creature. Um, because it, it's sort of like this, um, almost like the boogeyman, except it 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 steals like uh, the pregnant woman's like uh, ch- children and whatnot. And throughout any depiction of the Manangal, uh, the the key feature about it is having like a split torso. Like it's it doesn't really have a stomach because it's split up like in half. So it's yeah, the way so it, 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 looks, it, it looks like, like a, a wing woman yeah. only. <laughs> Only the the legs and the upper torso are severed. Yeah, I actually really like it. Like the doy really. It puts you on edge, yeah, it, which I think is kind of the intent. Which is oh, I just cool. oh, I'm looking at it now, and I only just got that like it's split in half. I was like, oh, uh-huh. that's kind of fancy, but that's like that's two splits. Wow, that's good design. Yeah, and they, they showed like a, a screenshot of it in in game. That's in game model looks awesome. So it's it's cool. Like, a lot of the demons look really yeah. Uh, Philippines represent. I like it. Yep. By the way, just uh, I think it's interesting to note the, the most the two games we just talked about, Lost Judgment and SMT Five, both Sega titles. One Sega, one's Atlas, right? This is their both both of these titles getting their worldwide release, you know, simultaneous for the first time. It's interesting. Yeah, it's that so Sega can so do that now. Yeah, right. Persona next. For, mm-hmm. Similar to the SMT follow-up, uh, similar story here with Blue Reflection Second Light. So this game was announced earlier this year in March, just the title card, really. We got the big reveal last week or the week before and kind of have the usual follow-up on some of the characters and voice actors in, uh, appearing in the game. So the new character that was detailed here was Shio Kazuga. I don't recognize the voice actors here. I don't know if uh, a lot Chow of- or... A lot of the voice actors in in the Blue Reflection Second Light are really new. They are not like oh, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. they, they, yeah. So it's, it's it's cool to have new talent uh, working on them. The, I, I know like Kyoto Animation really likes to do that with their with their anime shows. Is they they usually uh, for their main characters they like to seek out new talent, which is well, what's cool. the anime called? The uh, was it Sound in Euphorium? Or uh, yeah, Euphorium. Yep. Like all the voice actors in that show was really new at the time, but now they're like super famous household names now. So yeah, because that show did so well. Yeah, mm-hmm. very, very, very popular. The interesting thing about this new Blue Reflection um, info is this Shio Kasuga character 
is meant to be like s- some sort of like the key person linking the upcoming Blue Reflection mobile game, which is Blue Reflection Sun, and then this game. So I'm wondering, like, are they going to somehow localize that Blue Reflection mobile game then? Because this one's coming out west. Yeah, um, otherwise you have this weird lingering link that doesn't go anywhere for a certain portion of the audience. Try this cross-platform thing. It's trying to get people interested in one media so they will buy the other thing, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. They also talk about a couple of the gameplay systems here. Um, They tether together part topes, which are uh, basically areas that appear in the overworld outside the school that the playable cast can explore to get uh, resources and items or whatever. And then uh, it also talks about a story feature called ref navi it is a being that appears inside of the girl's smartphones at the same time as these heart topes so it has a it kind of has like this creepy mysterious ominous vibe to it about it exactly its objective and its you know allegiance and things like that so i don't know if i don't know enough about the story to really deep to dive too deeply into that but for those that have played the original game or are involved in the story they were detailed here as well along with the new character they're really trying to gust it. I mean, I'm trying really trying to rise it up. They're really hoping that this is like the the breakout moment for this series. I'm wondering if they will be successful. It's... Like the first game had potential. It just wasn't really that polished. So I feel like if uh, they prove it, you know, we might have something here. It's weird because like I, I probably mentioned it before, but like as I, as new episodes come out for that Blue Reflection anime, that feels like one me and maybe seven other people on Earth. Are watching like it's like oh this isn't bad you know like they actually have ideas here that are, it could go somewhere like they're, Josh they're, you do you do a f- service to us at RPG site so Josh is always keeping up on the different anime adaptations of the games we talk about like he's keeping up or at least I presume he's keeping up with the Scarlet Nexus anime yeah, yeah. ongoing uh-huh. about all the different Persona anime projects and whether or not they'll introduce a new one with this big 25th anniversary thing for Royal specifically so thank you for uh for that for bearing that burden thank you um, do i get some sort of reward uh you get uh you can put More it on anime. Your card. anime anime kind of kind of sewer for rpg site oh, anime boy. expert oh no we did get another character introduction trailer for tales of arise uh, we talked about laws last week and how it featured an english voice actor i don't care for i actually don't know who the english voice actor for rinwell is this is the mage character that has the owl companion the owl chick so this is the fourth of the, uh, presumably six character introduction trailers leading up to the September release for Tales of Arise. Uh, just kind of like the last one, pretty vanilla, pretty much what you'd expect. My main comment she's here the is mage that character. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, she fights with a uh, with a grimoire. Um, yeah. And then the, the one comment here, and I noticed this in the last trailer, too. So it's a deliberate design decision, I presume. But. Whenever they have the combat chirps, like where they where they're casting, like take that in the name of the spell or whatever, they have this audio effect where it almost sounds like they're shouting from inside a bottle or underwater or something. Like I don't know if that's. It sounds like it's intentional, but it just kind of throws me off whenever I watch these trailers. And it's only it's only present in combat, um, though maybe even outside of combat, the voice acting was done remotely, so it sounds a bit off. I'm not sure. It just Something about just the audio quality of these character trailers. I just think doesn't you might right have to. I, I think these trailers also have like superimposed music on it, so you kind of have to see how it is in the game. Right, they're not. Cut, they're just not cut out of the. 
Oh, watch it be like if there's like an in in universe explanation of the whole thing. It's like, oh, whenever battles are uh, conducted in this realm, you all plunge inside an air bubble, which will distort <laughs> the, the air pressure in it. So that's why it sounds fucked up. And just for a quick mention, uh, we do know that there's going to be a live stream set for next week, where oh. they're going to discuss the the uh, detour systems yeah, overview. So things like skits and. Uh, other like side story event things that are very typical in Tales games. So obviously all the characters are introduced. The premise of the game is known. So this is just more just kind of a feature overview about, you know, secondary stuff that we will learn more before the next I have, podcast. It, I have so comments. Go for it. One, one thing that's sort of interesting about these character trailers is that they are only released in English from the European branch. Like, and I even see Japanese websites reporting on these saying, here's an, for them, overseas trailer on Tales of Arise. So, like, this isn't just, like, a dubbed... I mean, obviously it's dubbed, but it's not just, like, a Japanese trailer that they translate to English with, you know, ADR. It's, like, actually the English team creating these trailers. So I, I, th I found that interesting, right? Two, I, some of the battle stuff in this Rinwald trailer did look a, a, a little bit slow to me. Um, maybe I'm just being overly paranoid or something, but it did seem a little bit like, I kind of wish this was, seemed snappier, but maybe it'll make more sense when I actually play it. Well, there is some deliberate snow down, slow yeah. down. Yeah. When, when, uh, when she dodges the weapon that... attacks, like a, like right. a use flash step sort of thing. Like bullet time or whatever when you dodge, yeah. Well, we'll see. It's funny that um, ever since like the first like gameplay preview of Arise came out, like one of the top Three questions you get from the Tales community is: Does this game have skits? What do the skits look like? Tell, yeah. Please tell me there's skits. Well, I, no, I remember when uh, when George played the preview. One of us asked, "Were there any skits?" And he's like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, what's that reference? Oh, I reference like a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we talked about how yeah. backwards that was. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot we had to use like a dragon for to, for him to like oh. get it. Oh my god. Oh, we'll, know, we'll know more on uh, Thursday? Yeah, the 29th. Uh, we'll be like, here, George, this is what skits look like. <laughs> <laughs> I played like a dragon, I know. <laughs> All right, a final trio of news posts here. These are pretty simple ones to wrap up the cast. Uh, Monster Hunter Stories 2 has surpassed 1 million units shipped, which is something the original game never did. Very quick success for... Monster Hunter Stories 2. The marketing paid off uh, the, the, the 3 million videos. All, all of those like story trailers that were like 80% similar but cut up in a different order. They did it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you did it, Capcom. Uh, but really, obviously, Monster Hunter seems to be on a very big upward swing in the West, you know, catapulted by the, the uh, success of World, the continued success of Rise. And then Stories 2 just seems like it's going to be a well i don't know i don't want to presume too much but i could see stories being like a fixture as a monster hunter spinoff going forward just i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised to see this they're also bringing i know the first stories to apple arcade as well some i don't know soon but they announced that it's coming to apple arcade the first stories oh nice uh the disgaea series has cumulatively sold five million units Obviously, Disgaea has six main entries and a lot of spinoffs and re-releases and like complete editions. So some people can speculate exactly which of these contribute to the five million unit total. Of course, I saw when we reported on this, someone someone cheekily but truly stated that's a third of what Gex accomplished. So yep. good, good, good going. <laughs> so Gex continues winning. All right. 
Where's my Gex remaster, guys? <laughs> Just buy a PlayStation, uh, man. But yeah, so it's five million total, Disgaea. Um, it's unfortunate that it seems like six didn't light the world on fire, but I haven't experienced it myself, so I don't really want to judge it. Two, what? No, but three on Steam. Do it. Is three like the only one missing on Steam? Well, other than six. Uh, besides six, yes, and like so. D two. So. No, they I are three, three, three the, like a dark I horse. Three. Well, I played I played the first two on Steam, and then four, or at least a version of it, is on Steam, and five is as well. So it's just kind of like, uh, I want to play three before I get to four, but it's I'd have to go on a different console. I have to do like a Vita version, and who wants to play Vita? You Vita version? <laughs> yeah. How dare you? <laughs> the Vita is recently deceased. Pay your respects. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess that is too soon. Uh, this week was the last week that any Vita games were allowed to release on the uh, PlayStation Store. Oh, so shit. now officially, Vita no longer means life. Oh, <gasps> uh, we knew this day was coming. What does Vita mean now if it doesn't mean life? It's death. It's death. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> no, not nothing more poetic than that. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, forward. Oh, I, I drink this uh, soy milk brand called Vita Soy all the time. Does it mean I'm gonna die? <laughs> Oh, well, it's nice knowing you, Chow. Now you now it does. Yeah, it didn't before until this week. And then finally, we have a release date for another kind of interesting little indie title coming up. That's Dodgeball Academia. The sports RPG is launching on August 5th for PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, and PC. So, yeah, I th- uh, I've been playing through it. Uh, I'll have a review up when uh, it's closer to launch. It's a uh... Pretty cool game so far. I really, I'm really enjoying. It. It's a very relaxing sort of small scale RPG. Um, it's uh, like you have RPG stats like in like these real do- dodgeball matches. So when you hit someone with a dodgeball, that a certain amount of HP will uh, pop out of them. And then there's like status effects that you can imbue with the volleyball. Like uh, there's a fire dodgeball uh, 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 dodgeball that you can throw out, or you can uh, throw out a, a shock dodgeball. And yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'll have more to say on it when it's closer to release. Yeah, it seems like we're kind of in the space where we have a lot of these little interesting original projects that we can kind of have the bandwidth to look at. So it'd be interesting to hear more about Dodgeball Academia. I feel like uh, for a couple of us, there's also a few games that we can't quite talk about yet. So oh, next week, next should definitely, yeah. so tease tease for next week. Can you talk about that game you've been playing? Um, yeah, uh, I guess really, really quick, just to, I'm not going to say too much, but uh, we did get Fuga Melodies of Steel Code. I have been playing it. There's no embargo, so I can say I've been playing it. Uh, yeah. Um, but it releases it, next week, right? Yeah, it releases next week on the 29th. So, so yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, we'll, we'll earmark a spot in the next podcast for you to go to town on, on Fuga. Yeah, I, I hope to, I hope to get so, some time with it uh, with it in before uh, we get to that because there are other uh, other releases that are relevant to our outlet as well coming out next week as well. So it's going to be pretty chaotic and a lot mayhem in here potentially. Man, so, so yeah, some of these teases, I'm like not even keeping. Like, wait, what? What is Josh referring to? Mm. I don't know offhand. So I guess I'll have to stay tuned. I, I have to show up next week. Damn it! Oh man, the host has to show up next week. Am I the host? I just speak first. That's how I see it. But <laughs> you are the host. 
So no, thanks for joining. We're obviously uh, we've wrapped up here. So it was a lot of interesting talks about a bunch of games we don't normally get to to highlight, and some surprises like Pokemon Unite that I did not know existed before, like two days ago. Uh, it was cool to hear your thoughts on Chris Tales, some of the thoughts on the Soul Sacrifice, uh, and all the news that are coming out in a slow period of the year. So lots of stuff to look forward to in August and September. Hope you're all keeping cool because it's been for most of us incredibly hot through these summer months. You can always visit us online at rpgsite.net. We have our YouTube channel. Nothing's gone up on there recently, but we do have a few things in the works for our RPG site on YouTube. And we're on the usual places on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for RPG site. Uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of the TetraCast. So until you hear from us then, stay safe. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys.